for the EFT. Mr. Bloom has two minutes. Uh, well, uh, Commissioner, um, Mr. President, uh, I rise again, I'm afraid, to make the same old hoary speech that I've been making here for several years, and that is, it is my opinion that you do not really understand the concept of banking. All the banks are broke. Uh, Bank Santander, Deutsche Bank, Royal Bank of Scotland, they're all broke. And why are they broke? It isn't an act of God. It isn't some sort of tsunami. They're broke because we have a system called fractional reserve banking, which means that banks can lend money that they don't actually have. It's a criminal scandal, and it's been going on for too long. To add to that problem, you have moral hazard, a very significant moral hazard from the political sphere. And most of the problem starts in politics and central banks, which are part of the same political system. We have counterfeiting, sometimes called quantitative easing, but counterfeiting by any other name. The artificial printing of money, which if any ordinary person did, they'd go to prison for a very long time. And yet governments and central banks do it all the time. Central banks repress the amount of interest that rate, rates are, so we don't have the real cost of money. And yet we blame the real retail banks for manipulating LIBOR. The sheer effrontery of this is quite astonishing. It's central banks. It's central banks that manipulate interest rates, Commissioner. And plus, underneath all this, we talk loosely, in a rather cavalier fashion, do we not, about deposit guarantees. So when banks go broke through their own incompetence and chicanery, the taxpayer picks up the tab. It's theft from the taxpayer. And until we start sending bankers, and I include central bankers and politicians, to prison for this outrage, it will continue. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Wednesday, March 15th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. And thank you for those that are back today after the incredibly ridiculous show that happened yesterday. And I'm going to just note on that to begin right out of the gate to show you some interesting things that I saw. But we have another important show for you today. Everything that wasn't gotten to, got to what we didn't cover yesterday, and that's the really important part of the show, the bulk of it yesterday that we didn't get to get, we didn't get to cover, and, and excluding the parts we went over yesterday for the most part, the beginning in regard to the banking collapse conversation. Now, I have some additional things to follow up on where this is today, at least last, last we checked, and we're going to go over that for you today to, to kind of get people caught up on where this is and how serious this does appear to be. And that clip was the same clip I played yesterday to start with. And it's important to understand that this is a long understood reality. This is not because banks are failing. It's because banks are always failing because it's a corrupt, corrupt criminal situation. The way that they're set up is unsustainable. They know that. And multiple times we've gotten glimpses of that. And the government steps in, takes your money to keep it going. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cash cow. It's a, it's a casino for them, right? At the end of the day, it's an important conversation to understand, you know, whether you un at least 
see it the same way that I do in regard to how this is a criminal enterprise, it's important still to understand how it's playing out, at least the way that they're discussing it on the world stage, and then trying to suss out what that means in, you know, how this is going forward and how this applies to the, for instance, the central bank digital currency direction, which was one of the real parts we got to. And I got cut off yesterday right about the censorship discussion, which we will get into. But we're also going to talk about the important parts that we didn't get to yesterday, human patenting, the reality about that conversation and why that's not it's something that's already here and really understanding why that statement is so so real and so alarming and how that overlaps with the injection, the mod RNA and what these things are doing, the verifiable evidence about how it is, in fact, altering your your genetic makeup. And this is verifiable, whether we're talking about the I mean, I'll get into it when we get there. The point is that this is a real conversation and it's really about whether or not. Legally speaking, a judge decides to uphold what's already been allowed. No one, as far as I can tell, has tried to argue that they own a human being, but the pieces are in place. And so we'll get into that and understand, you know, try to explain why that's a really concerning conversation. And it's not conspiracy theory. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. You know, maybe maybe we should have faith in humanity and realize that people will see through it and realize that it's not the, you know, you can always think like that. And I'd like to have hope. I'd like to stay positive about human nature in general. But the scary thing is that it's already been put in place and how that might be justified, how, as we've seen in the past. Events take place, certain arguments are made, and next thing you know, you've got this political fervor that drives right over the top of logic. But we're also going to talk about COVID-19. And really, I almost included this in the chat or in the comment, the title again today, just how the COVID-19 jab narrative has just utterly collapsed. It's going so far in the other direction now from heads of state, different countries, health ministries coming up and going like, look, this is these are hurting people. And the new one we'll get into today is another important breaking down of the reality that people who have gotten sick. Now, we can discuss about whether or not that is COVID or COVID is there, but people who have gotten sick under the argument that that's COVID and that those people. They would tell you are would benefit from an injection either way, whether or not they have natural immunity, except now the reality is coming out from at least one of these locations going, nope, it's the exact opposite. Just like you heard on this show, because we looked at peer reviewed science and relayed that to you, which is that it's exponentially worse. If you have the natural immunity and then get the injection, that becomes the situation perfectly primed for pathogenic priming for, uh, now I'm just blanking on the other variations, the different stuff, the, you know, we talked about pathogenic priming. We talked about, antibody-dependent enhancement. They're different, but they're similar concepts. And that the that's what ultimately ends up happening. And we're seeing that verified now. Exponentially more death, more hospitalization, at least in one location. It's just never been this obvious. It's, and it's insulting that it keeps going forward anyway. But we're also going to end with a really important and, and concerning part of it. Oh, and I forgot the part that I, in the middle, we're going to get to is the F the PFAS forever chemicals conversation. As corporate America pointed out, and we talked about recently, and then all of a sudden, they care. All of a sudden, they guess what? We can, we're concerned about PA, these forever chemicals and we're going to start doing something about it. The only scam is that they've known it's been there and they haven't cared for 20 years or however long it's been something they've known about, maybe longer. The point is that it's obviously only now being pointed at, likely because they have a justification for how they'll solve it, which is likely the last thing we'll want. This is how this tends to work. But let's start off with this, and I think is important. Now, just for those from yesterday, if they're for those who didn't watch it, the show is still out there, but I didn't really add it to the other platforms that I usually do, like BitChute and so on, because it was it's it's 
basically one quarter of yesterday's show, and it was just very unnerving. So really quickly, what ultimately happened was I was live yesterday, and you can see it up until I, I the on Rumble, I believe you can see the full up until it, it just ends. But I was live, and I was seeing weird problems that I wasn't really noting on pretty much the entire time. I had some issues when I first started, but the point was, as we were going through, things were acting very, very strange. Screen things weren't loading properly. My audio was funny. I was hearing overlap. It was all over the map. I mean, I, I'm just... Things like that just genuinely happen. It doesn't always have to be some kind of manipulation. It could be. It could just be glitches. But it got to a point to where I, I, there, I, something just wasn't functioning for me. And so I tried to do something. I tried to plug directly in in hopes that that would maybe, maybe it was an internet problem. And, and then from there, it only got worse. Now, at that point, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I screwed this up with the internet switching. But that's not how that's supposed to work. Obviously, once the internet connects, it should just continue. The point was it was having all these problems up until that point. But then from that point forward, it just cascaded. And it wasn't just the Internet, which is, if you know, if that might be the only thing in your mind that might have caused it. I did think about that. But remember, it was happening before. From that point forward, it got very interesting. Screen things were happening. My audio wasn't working. All of a sudden, the screen froze. Then I come back and my after refreshing, my audio wouldn't work. And all that said, I, I was just going to just keep going. And my, my computer shuts off. And I mean, I was already a little bit upset just because I didn't know what to do. And this is a conversation we need to start having. What do we do in these kind of situations? This is where this is going. Now, whether again, I'm not saying I know for sure this could just be some kind of a computer glitch. It certainly happens. But what do we do in the future when we do have a situation where they're acknowledging that something needs to be throttled or suppressed and they don't want to make it clear, but it's because you know national security, which we know happens today. What do you do about that? How do we fight against something like that? When all of a sudden it's not something you can rectify, when things just don't work properly, you're just turned off. It's a, it's a disconcerting situation. It really is. But we're not going to stop is the point. Now, typically, even like yesterday, I would have stayed there for the next 13 hours just to make sure that I can get back on, you know, because that's how I tend to be. Like, it makes me work harder no matter what. But last night was just so, I didn't, it just made, it left me with a feeling that was just hard to describe. That I, you know, I turned it back on, I came back, and of course the stream yard had ended. So that would have had, I would have had to start an entirely new show. And I just, I, I apologized on Twitter and I said, you know, I apologize, guys. I don't know what happened. But bottom line was something fishy happened as far as I can tell. Something I've never seen before where my computer ultimately just turns off, which weirdly enough happened on the one, the computer before this, which we ultimately had to get a new one because of that. But who knows, right? But then, of course, Right away, I noticed, well, look at this. While that was happening, YouTube insta-censored the show. A show, by the way, which was only, it only consisted of financial discussion because we never even got to the latter part of the show. But look at what they censored it under. Medical misinformation. So if you want an insight into how this is arbitrarily being applied from places just to get rid of the content, well, look at a conversation that has to do with nothing but banking and central bank digital currencies being censored under the guise of medical misinformation. And you'll realize that this is just them doing whatever. The, oh, Ryan, yeah, medical, whatever. Just get that down. <laughs> Who knows? But I found that pretty interesting. Now, all that aside, we're going to get into all the important stuff today. And if it goes down today, I'll be back tomorrow or 3,400 more times today because we are relentless. And that's how we're going to continue to be because you have to be. You just can't stop, can you? Now, on that note, let's continue into this and just consider how much this is actually already happening and how much this is likely already happening on platforms we may not want to consider, like Twitter and others. Before we do that, though, I want to give a shout out to the upcoming event 
five days from now on March 20th, we'll be hosting a T-Lab fundraising event to try to raise funds for where this is going to be going, the different things we're going to be growing into, like the pirate stream concept, as well as just what, well, I shouldn't say that ultimately, because I want you guys to save that. We're going to be doing our pirate stream separate fundraiser thing coming up in the near future for growing that platform in and of itself, blending our three audiences and so on. But this is just for, just to make it clear for the last American vagabond. I am still hoping that Courtney will stop by though. I'd love to have her come in the studio and have a conversation just for, I love talking with her, but this is going to be, as you can see the T lab team, popping in intermittently. I put the invite out to anybody out there really that, you know, I, that we engage with and so on. Anybody listening that wants to just pop in at some point and have a conversation could be two minutes, could be an hour. You're welcome to join, reach out to me, DM somewhere, email me most likely DM. Cause I'll probably miss the email before then, but I'll, I'll give you the, the stream yard link and you know, it's going to be informal. It's going to be fun. Maybe it's going to be crazy with a thousand people at one time, or maybe it'll just be me and Scott <laughs> who ultimately knows, but either way we'll be there. From 11 Central Time, 12 Eastern, until 4 Central, 5 Eastern. And just doing a long-term kind of telethon fundraiser, talking about news, engaging with conversation, answering your questions, and some other fun things. People are, are asking for a cooking demonstration. Who knows? Maybe I'll do it. Maybe not. I honestly haven't decided yet, but not live for sure. <laughs> but we'll do something. We have lots of fun things. Prizes to give away. We'll be doing like an ultimate thing at the end for something special. In any case, guys, it's just about those that support us that want to continue to see this platform grow and those that are just coming around to see it and so on. So looking forward to that. Scott and I will be in the studio the whole day. So I'm looking forward to you guys joining. Now, this is the show we did yesterday. I broke down the title for just the first part since we ultimately didn't get to the rest of it, which we'll be covering today. You can check that out here if you'd like to look further into the information we went over and see this episode we talked about. Here again is the clip I played in the beginning, which is what we started with if you'd like to check that out. Oh, and, and a follow-up actually from yesterday's show. I did look for some reason. That's weird. I don't know why this is. Let me just refresh the whole tab. The yesterday we looked at the BML funding on the Claremont website. And when you saw it on the show yesterday, if you watched for some reason, it was down. It just said page has been removed or whatever it said, which was very strange. And I, I figured, okay, maybe that means it wasn't true. Maybe that wasn't there in the first place. However, I have confirmed today that it did load. I don't know why this is showing this weird disconnect from server point. Hopefully we're still live. Okay, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and but you can see here that that is in fact the reality. In case that matters, this is the Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, I I think that it does seventy almost j just on seventy three and a half million dollars for BML movement and related causes. That's donations coming from Silicon Valley Bank. Now, as they're at a moment right now where there there are people that are not getting their money. That should matter, shouldn't it? That money was going out in donations for what you know whether you think it's the right thing or not. It's still virtue signaling. You're still doing something for the, the you know, that, well, let's put it this way. At the end of the day, that undermines what you need to do, your obligations, where people are clearly not getting what they deserve, and yet this happens. So I think that's a fair point to make. But I, I'll include this so you guys can, yeah, there it is. They did load. So you guys can, you know, refer to this, and you can search for any number of other people involved in this too, if, you know, if you're interested. So there it is. Just want to confirm that follow-up. Now, I showed this as well in the beginning yesterday. I just wanted to reiterate the same point that I yesterday made the point to start off on the idea of experts or so-called experts, people being regarded as experts like Greta Thunberg or Bill Gates, who aren't, in fact, who are just people that are, you know, propaganda pieces that are pushing narratives, whether or not you think they're right. But I wanted to point out that I tried to search for this tweet that somebody shared with me, which does very clearly say we have less than two years left now in 2018. 
So she was wrong in case you missed that point. Now, they push this. Nothing changed. In fact, they argue it's worse than ever, but clearly they were wrong. So why we would trust them now is, you know, an obvious question. But I made the point that it was odd that I tried to search on Twitter for this using the, the advanced search, which I showed you yesterday in depth. And apparently, according to Twitter, it doesn't exist. But it clearly does, though. It's right there. Oh, must just be one of those glitches, right? And maybe it is. Maybe Twitter's struggling, trying to figure out how to fix these different things. And as even he says, there's lots of stuff going on. It's going to take a long time. Okay, maybe. But weirdly enough, before all this, it searched just fine. Not to say good or bad or otherwise. I mean, there's lots of good things now versus before. But there's also a lot of weirdly surreptitious things that are happening that seem almost worse than before that nobody wants to talk about. So I'm concerned about where this goes. In any case, the point is to bring up another example of this. Here's Bernie's tweets. Doomsday predictions from Al Gore, 1992. We had 10 years to save the world. Whew, good thing we did that in time. <laughs> or they were wrong. Or however you want to look at it, either way, we continue to allow these people to tell you the things are going to happen and then it doesn't happen and they just push it down the line. Sounds like QAnon. It sounds like anything government-related, right? That's how these things work. Just like, in, just like, you know, think about this in the context of like how governments manipulate us. You're either with us or against us. She's giving you some binary thing to drive you against each other. Now, notice how you see the trappings of that kind of a thing happening in a lot of large conversations. We acknowledge the 9-11 conversation, right, where it comes down to people who say, either you agree with this narrative or you're part of the problem. Oh, okay. Well, what if I just disagree? What if I look at the same evidence and I just don't agree with what you find? Can't we just acknowledge we have a different opinion? No, you're an evil villain if you think anything other than this exact point. Okay, well, we see how that happened. Maybe they're right. Maybe you agree with that. In any case, that is how the government steps into valid conversations and drives people against each other. And there are people within those conversations that are part of that problem knowingly and those that don't realize they are. My point, though, in general, is there's always this kind of tactic. It's happening in conversations right now. It doesn't mean everyone in it is dishonest, but we have to realize that. If you're not able to stand back and at least acknowledge that somebody could just be wrong, maybe they're more stupid than you are, maybe they just looked at all the information and just come to a different conclusion, or maybe they're just a shill for the government, but all of those things are possible, right? And if you don't know for sure to err on the side of they are a shill, that's bit, that, is that is more damaging to the truth, in my opinion, than any other thing we're talking about because that allows subject that is the twitter files happening in real time you are subjectively assuming into what you think the truth is and that's what they want from you even sometimes when you're right in this case again we have al gore stepping in back then and saying we're gonna need to do this by this time and you know think population bomb think everything they've done like this over and over where they just keep kicking the can down the road i guess we could play this i wasn't going to play it environmental problems, regional problems like acid rain. Now we've got a whole new category of global or strategic problems, which include the hole in the ozone layer, which now could appear above the United States. Yeah, how'd that work out? Global climate change, the destruction of the rainforest at a rate that means they'll be totally gone in another few decades unless we stop, the pollution of the oceans and the well, again, that would be now, essentially, which isn't true. And by no means is anybody arguing that we did. You know, there's more, as far as I can tell, uh, what's the term for it? You know, cut, chopping down trees. There's a term for the where they just kind of broadly cut down an entire hillside. I forget the term. In any case, it's not like these things got better. So if we can't see now that they're just yelling the things there, and maybe they thought they were true. But then at some point they realized they were wrong and just kept going. 
So there's no way you can see them as not dis- as not as honest in this conversation. At the very least, they were wrong and just decided to find out how they could still be right. I mean, there's there's no way to not make it at some level dishonest. Atmosphere and the like. These represent brand new challenges that call for a new kind of response. Rush, I've, I've listened to you many afternoons, as you know. Uh, and now, this is great, actually. Now, think about the how obviously this is here comes Rush Limbaugh, how obviously this is the same thing we're dealing with today. It's the same, like, sub- boiled down talking points to left first, right, bad guy, good guy, back and forth, right? One's about saving the body, the other one's, oh, those socialists, and it's just the same talking points, just a little bit flavored differently today. You tend to, I don't want to say you dismiss all of these issues, but at least you dismiss them as having been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. Well, absolutely. I don't think that there's anything conclusive about what Senator Gore said, with all due respect. I think... For example, there is no ozone hole over the United States. Uh, now realize this is how it works to use the truth, in my opinion, to mislead people, right? Because this is how this works. That's not a right opinion as much as the left would make it then and still does now. There's plenty of people who see all of the two-party illusion but still recognize that these are being played from both sides. Many agendas like this. Uh, and if we want to get into the detailed discussion of ozone depletion, we can. But uh, I, I think, Ted, that there is not a crisis. See, this is the problem I have. I don't think the earth is fragile. I don't think the ecology is fragilely balanced. And I think that the doomsday industry that is typified by members of the Hollywood acting community who say we've only got 10 years left to save our planet. We've got to act now. Yeah, It was a trend then and a trend now. But notice what he just also did. It went the extreme in the other direction. Oh, so there's not a problem then? Oh, everything's fine. Keep polluting, military. Keep destroying the planet, governments. Y'all go right ahead. No. You see, this is the absurd argument is when you get the two-party paradigm, you divide ourselves and we everything continues the way they wanted it to because we're pointing at each other. That's how this works. There is no way if what these people say is true that we can solve these problems in 10 years anyway. It's budget time in Washington. NASA's being cut. And I think that this this fright and... and uh, doom scenario is designed to frighten people everything in this country today seems to be a crisis we can't do anything yeah, self familiar doesn't it <laughs> i mean there, there was a lot that i agreed with regarding rush limbaugh but there was plenty of things i could easily point out expose the fact that they were willing to lie omit whatever you want to call it in regard to partisan talking points like like the conversation of obama's fleets and all the things around the country there's all so many of these conversations that you can look back and go well that's just blatantly false and they and here's how you can prove they knew it was false but yet kept saying it that's just that's all sides it's not left or right it's all of it without it being half uh, having to face it as a crisis we don't have any time to think about it uh there are as many scientists that's how that uh, maybe even more hurry, hurry rush we got to do it now we're all gonna die we can't think act or on the opposite side of all of these doomsday predictions. And, and I think that that's they need to be true. Yeah. Oh, yes, there are. That, that's not true. If I can right. jump in there, Ted, where the ozone hole is concerned, for example, the linkage between these chemicals, chlorofluorocarbons, and the ozone hole is established. There may be one one hundredth of one percent of the scientific community that disputes it. Oh, no, no, no. It's far. See, that, see, and that's not true either. More than that. And it's like today in the same way where suddenly you have people who aren't experts because they disagree with what the other people say, even though they are experts. That The environmental movement, as as fueled by the militants who lead it, uh, I think is the new home of socialism. The I ozone hole is threatening to open up above North America, above. It's, it's just, can you not see the same game all the way back then? It's the same stupid thing all the way around. And here we are still doing it 
because apparently either we haven't realized that we all see it or too many of us just don't see it because here we still go marching into sleepwalking into our technocratic panopticon in the next step, the biosecurity state. Anyway, the point is, here are more experts who continue to tell you one thing or the other. Again, what they call experts. And it just continues to be wrong. And she's right. Bernie says, follow the money. Usually the best way to look at this. Now, my point, now remember that as we get to another point in regard to the Twitter part of it. And I just want to, I'll make a point about how this search doesn't seem to work in other areas. I just think it's, I, I don't know if I, if that's just a glitchy thing or not, but it really matters. When you do this the way we do and you anybody out there that's trying to research and search through these things, you can't just look. It's impossible to find tweets unless you have a search like this. But if it's not working or it's rather selectively working, that's a really easy way to bury things, especially on a platform like this that's full of just billions of tweets a minute, whatever it actually turns ends up being. Anyway, remember that. Now, today on the, the discussion of the bank collapse, this has actually gotten really, really concerning to me more so than before because we it's continuing right up until this moment. Now, we you saw yesterday, for those that watched, that we have the 13th here, which was the first part of this signature bank after SVB, right? Not first part, but the, the post SVB, we saw other things begin to be halted, the trading halted. That's what this is. This page here is the trading halts on the stock exchange, NASDAQ, and so on. The point is that they halted a bunch more. Now we've seen post that there was 20 plus. Actually, yesterday we counted 46 different listings that were paused halted which is just crazy when you think about it they're just anytime there seems to be a problem everything gets paused but what if the natural process is that like what if people are just selling because this is let me frame this the right way how does it make this how does this an honest situation if anytime there seems to be a direction that the consensus of experts don't want that they just pause everything and who gets to decide when that happens and this seems to be very self-serving for the people controlling the way this goes. But I thought it was interesting that on the 13th, you see that we showed you 46 things from yesterday, the 14th, that are suddenly no longer there. That's the 13th. And then it goes right to the 15th. Now, how does that even make sense? Because this isn't like, if you go all the way, you can go down as far as you want. These things aren't still paused down here. As far as I understand it, right? Unless maybe these things are paused from the 2019 until now. I don't even know how that makes sense. Maybe. But in any case, the point is that 14s are just gone now. But from the 15th forward, again, look at how many listings there are here. So it's coming from here all the way up. I mean, again, we're talking like 20 plus listings just from today. Therapeutics, healthcare, healthcare, all of the, this is an interesting overlap with the Israeli startup tech industry as well. Because we just showed you yesterday that almost all of those involved, most of them, were pharmaceutical, therapeutics, life science. Why? It's so interesting. Why does SVB seem to be this hub? I mean, you could argue it's a Silicon Valley overlap, but aren't there, there's a lot more going on there than just bio, in, bio research. But yet that seemed to be the focal point. And now we have a whole bunch more that seem to be paused. It's interesting. Now, Credit Suisse is the big part of this today. That was paused at 1134 this morning when they lost a huge portion of their, you know, assets, essentially, if that's even the correct word. And here is it says too big to fail. Credit Suisse domino effect far more potent than SVB. That's what a lot of the experts are pointing out right now is that this is a, a to, to, SVB, you could have argued, was something smaller or it could have been contained. 
argument is that if Credit Suisse officially, you know, if this ends up being a 2008 scenario, Credit Suisse is, is at that level, essentially, with the way, like we saw the way SVB was connected to so many different things, right? And that they have these loans out, and ultimately, if they collapse, or loans taken, arguably, then suddenly the people that they're owed to, then they have their problems, and it continues to cascade in that same way. And there was a lot of them, but this is a much bigger problem. And I, this was highlighted, but I'm not going to try to dive through it again. It says they reported its assets under management were almost 1.3 trillion Swiss francs. My God. Or the equivalent of 1.4 trillion as recently as last month. So see, it's a much larger problem. Now, here is uh, Sasha Hodder, not familiar, but it was I, I listened to it and I found it to be reasonably insightful may not i shouldn't be mean but maybe you know ignore the kind of valley girl tint to her voice but that's just case that matters to somebody but it, this person is the founder of hotter law firm helping companies operate legally within the digital asset space and so on here's what she has to say there's some good points in here let's listen to her and then we'll we'll go through a couple different takes on where how people see this and whether they feel this is a bigger deal or being overplayed brink of a major black swan event here are three things you need to know one the banking sector lost 90 billion of its market cap over the past few days when Silicon Valley Bank failed. The 90 billion dollars. Like I mean that, that think about that and what that means and how if if it can happen like that. Like think about that. If that's just gone, does that mean it was ever even there? Right? All that really happened was they just, they just lost that that value because what's been happening is a bunch of debt transfer loans and the, the way this has been working, you know, you give them your hundred dollars and that translates into thousands of dollars that are being loaned out. Like there's a problem there. So when this instantly loses that much money, think about what that actually means. The bank made poor investment decisions with its customers' assets and invested 80 billion into mortgage-backed securities. These are the same instruments that caused the 2008 financial crisis. Val and that's the point I keep making, guys. And I really challenge anybody to look into this if you think that's not correct. Right now, every, I mean, really, ever since 2008 is the point to make. Ever since that, of 2008 forward, immediately, these same banks, the same people, the same institutions went right back to doing it, and it only got worse instantly. X, I mean, within a year, you could point out it was 10 times worse every single one of these areas. So, I mean, think about what that means in regard to the regulators, the government. They're not they, they're not stupid. They saw it. It was acknowledged early what was causing it. And yet they said, here's money. We we know you'll do what's right. And they didn't. They gave themselves bonuses and then went right back to work, stealing your money. The only way to understand this is that the government either doesn't care, isn't in control or is part of it. Bank stock plummeted to $37 on Friday and it was put into a receivership. That's like a bankruptcy for banks. Two, the government is bailing out any depositor of a failed bank. Bailouts are bad. They allocate taxpayer money to cover up for executives' greedy and immoral decisions. They also create a malaligned incentive structure. Now banks are probably going to go out and take even bigger bets with their yes. customers' assets, knowing they have a giant safety net to fall back on. And they, But here, the point is they already knew that, right? They already realized that with 2008-4. They knew that before 2008. That's why it got there. So until we realize the game, this is only going to continue until ultimately they just take it one step too far and the whole thing comes crashing down, which is maybe the point. Maybe that's where this is going to justify the next step.
What's really interesting here is the Silicon Valley Bank CEO actually sold 11% of his shares just a few weeks ago. He had never sold any of his stock for years prior. The CFO and CMO also sold some of their shares. If it turns out they already knew the bank was about to fail when they sold those shares, they could be up for a serious insider trading charge. And three, the crypto sector has lost access to all of its major banking relationships. Now, again, think about what the obvious reality of having, I think it was four high-level people from the top down selling millions of dollars of stock right before this happens. We're not telling you, not letting you know anything's wrong. Now, they're, they're, I mean, if they're, whether we're talking like a fiduciary obligation or how, you know, however this is played, they withheld information. And now maybe that was withheld from everybody or maybe it was just withheld from the low-level depositor. Who knows? The point is they knew something, they acted on it, and we're going to get to next that Times of Israel's reporting that Israel seemed to be able to play, to be able to pull out of almost, a, we think about a billion dollars for their tech startups when nobody else seemed to be able to do that. What does that mean? Signature Bank was put into receivership on Sunday with no hard evidence of insolvency. This is very suspicious given the backdrop of Operation Choke Point 2. And yet, Bitcoin is pumping. Nobody trusts the USDC anymore after it lost its peg over the weekend. And everyone's moving to the hardest asset they can find, which is Bitcoin. Bitcoin was made for this environment. Trading was halted for all major bank stocks on Monday. But you know what they can never halt from trading? That's right. Bitcoin. Now, obviously, she's pro Bitcoin and pro cryptocurrency, but and, and it's not. There are a lot of people that would argue that that's the wrong direction, and I mean, I'm I'm right on the fence. I'm right there. It's hard to feel like that makes sense with how this keeps going. Now, Coinbase is not Bitcoin, right? Coinbase, or rather, even just Bitcoin, is not cryptocurrency. That people tend to boil this down to one thing. Now, regardless of that, though, it does make sense to go in something direction like that, some direction like that, whether you want to go in sound money like gold and silver, which is kind of where my mind is at, my mind is at right now. Regardless, it makes sense. And this is why they're so concerned because no matter, there's nothing about this that feels secure to anybody. Biden keeps coming out and saying it's okay and then having more banks be, it just, it's obvious they're just trying to stave off the problem and they're willing to lie to you to make that happen just like in 2008. It's very, very clear. You, my, my, I honestly think that this is about executing the transition to the digital currency. Very seriously, no question. Now, I don't feel like I can prove that, but we can prove that they were very clearly driving this direction, that they keep telling you that's where it needs to go, and that they keep arguing that we need some kind of a catalyst to make, and here we are. Now, you could argue that that may have just been a coincidence that we got here right after they make all those arguments, or you could realize that at the very least, they would take advantage of that and drive it forward because they just told you they want to, right? It, it's kind of, it, either way, we know that they will take advantage, never let a good crisis go to waste. So I genuinely think that's where we are right now. Now here is Peter St. Ange, PhD, who we, we played in the beginning of this, and he made his comments about the first one, so I figured let's follow up with what he's saying now in regard to Credit Suisse and take his opinion, which is a little different in regard to where this might be going. So another day, another bank run. Happily, this time it's not one of ours. Credit Suisse, a giant Swiss bank, one of the largest in the world, fell 25% overnight. Now it looks like they're down more like 30%. So people are worried about contagion, right? We are in the midst of a bank panic here in the US. And so is this gonna to contribute to that? 
So Credit Suisse's problems predate our current bout of panics. In fact, they go back to the European sovereign debt crisis about a decade ago. Last year, Credit Suisse posted about an $8 billion loss that had already been putting pressure on them. And then today's trigger seems to be that they had difficulty raising capital. Uh, it looks like it's for regulatory reasons. So one of now, the, the first point to make, obviously, is that this is nothing new. Right. So this is not they're really desperate to make you think this is all because you're all running to take your money out and you're the ones collapsing the system because you don't trust the system. That's always how this works. Right. It's your fault. Grandma got sick because you didn't get the jab. Everyone needs to get it or we're all sick because no one's safe. It's this, if they just have one mindset to everything, it seems. Right. But the interesting thing is that this has been a problem with specifically Credit Suisse for a while. And it's just building and building, and they keep doing things to stave off the problem. Now, imagine being in an industry where you can literally be failing forever, and you just happen... Like, this is the too-big-to-fail argument. Whether that is the argument being applied to these individual banks or just the system entirely, that you have big banks that are tapped into enough people that, well, the government feels obligated, or at least not the argument, to do something when there's a problem. So then these banks realize, well, shoot, we'll just do whatever we want, because no matter what happens, ultimately they'll save us, because if we go down, they know everybody else does. And you think they don't lean into that? I mean, this is just, this is a broken system. I argue it was built this way, but it's only gotten worse because of greed and corruption. And now... It feels like the rug's being pulled out to justify the next money scheme, right? The next pyramid, whatever you want to call it, the, you know, just the next corruption. These people are trying to set up the next scheme, the next digital scenario where we, I mean, think about if, we, if, if they're doing this now, imagine a time where you have basically unfettered access to being able to control everything, turn off everything. I mean, that's these are the people that are cheating you now. Imagine if they had their fingers on everything where you are literally just a number on a screen and that's it. There is no real world translation. I mean, that's terrifying to me. Their biggest shareholders, they were trying to raise money from them and they're Saudi and apparently that's an issue. Worst case, uh, Switzerland and the EU will almost certainly uh, jump in to bail out Credit Suisse, Credit Suisse because they want to limit contagion. Uh, the EU normally has trouble sort of lining up its cats, uh, but historically when things hit the fan, they do line up. Going by the uh, sovereign debt crisis in Europe a decade ago, the problems here are not necessarily going to spread to the US. What we should expect is that there will be losses uh, to American banks and to American counterparties of Credit Suisse, in other words, banks and financial institutions that do business with them. Uh, but so no direct contagion, but definitely losses. Still, the timing is very unfortunate. People in the US are, of course, right now very nervous given our own bank panics, and we're not exactly certain if those are finished. Uh, and, it, you know, sort of the background here, I mean, the, the, the damage has been limited so far, right? We're looking at something like three or 5% drop in US bank, the major banks and then about a 5% drop in investment banks, so not yet. Now, think about how the interesting framing, even from somebody who's critical of this, right? That, that it's been contained. Why? Well, because we only saw a minimal drop in the system, in the these, you know, investments, money. Like, so what about all the people that lost all their money? What about the, the reality that the reason these people just lost all this money and people above $250,000, apparently most of them aren't going to get this back unless something is done. What about that? Well, it's okay because we the big guys didn't lose enough. So clearly the, rea the the way that the health of the market and the health of the system is regarded or in, 
tested is whether or not they are still working. You're just numbers on a sheet. Well, that's okay because we're still working. I mean, you really got to realize the way that they're framing this. You don't matter. You're just another peon, another cog in the machine that they can replace instantly. Catastrophic. Of course, who knows what's going to come next. But at the moment, it does not look catastrophic. And just kind of highlight here, you know, this is almost precisely the reason why Satoshi invented Bitcoin in 2000. uh, uh, Well, he invented it in 2008. The very first block that came out, he cited the Bank of England uh, bailout. And so we are, I think many of us did not expect history to repeat quite this quickly, uh, but it's looking like it is. So I don't know. I mean, you know, that's not true. I mean, a lot of people have been saying the same things I am because it's obvious. Well, if they didn't do anything different, well, it's pretty obvious that eventually we're going to get to the same problem. And here we are. Right. I mean, it's that's interesting for him to say going forward. I don't think that we're going to see catastrophic contagion over here in the U.S., but this is definitely something to watch. And, you know, for all the clownery that we have here in the U.S., for all the irresponsible bankers, the irresponsible regulators, bureaucrats, politicians. So all of them, then I think the bigger picture here is that they are even worse in Europe, apparently in Switzerland. And the real point there is that this is an international scheme. That's why, like what these, these are criminals. Why wouldn't they want to get on, get in on the game while the game is good, right? That's the point. They all see this. They all see it coming down. And that's why they're all making moves, right? This is, this is the reality. This is how this is meant to work. And they're just now seemingly driving into the ground for the next step. But that's the, yeah, the, his point is that this is just how they, it's not just the U S idea. This is the banking industry. They're dishonest. And this is my point about why this just needs to come down. I'm not I'm not wanting any kind of problem for people anywhere in the world. I don't want there to be any. I mean, obviously, even with if there was a problem when the banking collapse, a financial collapse, yeah, people would die in that situation just because there's going to be problems around the world and things which lead to people having issues or even less than that, just people then suffer because of so. But my point is, ultimately, if you really stand back and realize what this broken banking system has done. It's a better situation to move this aside and go forward in an honest way and not have the, I mean, we have to realize the things that we don't talk about that we can prove the kind of things where, or even the simple things like proving that these large banking industries have completely manipulated the gold and silver price to benefit themselves. Or the fact that we can see and prove that they've been involved with drug trafficking, human trafficking throughout the, these things are been exposed. So this is a problem and it's a crux of the problem. So just to continue to allow this teetering upside down triangle to just continue to balance on its edge is really stupid as far as I'm concerned, because it seems like an inevitable collapse. Why would we wait for them to use that collapse to benefit the next agenda? Right now, I'm not saying I want that. All I'm saying is you should do what you think is right for you and not just lean in. I saw a funny meme from Babylon B that showed this worker and it goes, worker can't feed his family, but he's happy that he helped to help to help stave off the bail in. Or whatever. He glad he would play his part to stop the bail, to stop the collapse, or whatever. It's like that's exactly the point. That's the way they want you to see this. And it's on you to to take it on the chin to make sure that the system continues. No, that is a government manipulation, which I think surprises uh, many people uh, in Japan, really across the world, Canada, Australia. So I think that we are likely to see a lot more things breaking from the sort of worldwide coordinated, you know, inflation and then interest rate hikes, that is something that is probably going to be putting pressure 
on pretty much every country across the world over the next year or so. There you go. Different opinions. I think it's pretty interesting that we all kind of see this. Now, what's interesting to me on top of that is here's Bloomberg Markets. Remember, now, this is, you know, a la 2008, right? The same kind of thing. This is new. This is from this is from the fifth today, 2023. Federal Reserve Governor Michelle Bowman says America's banking system remains on steady footing even after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. And then we just pause 14 more banks, right? <laughs> it's just so stupid how they will come. If we haven't learned from 2008, they will tell you what they think will stop the problem, even if that's a lie, because it's the same way they play foreign policy or medical interventions that will lie to you for your interest, right? We'll do the dangerous thing for your safety. And some of them are too, they're stupid enough to actually believe that. But this is the same game. Now, I don't know for sure whether she's knowingly lying or whether maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's not what's happening. You know, but at the end of the day, knowing that they said the same thing before 2008, it just seems pretty dumb, doesn't it? Now, I want to point one quick thing out I said before about Twitter. As I normally go through this, and I, ha- I it's been a while since I've been like, oh, I don't have that video. <laughs> I'm trying to be really good about having them ready and so, and so on. And so I tried to download this one like I do all of them. And for some reason, it kept popping up and saying, doesn't seem to contain a video which I thought was very strange. There's the link right there. And so I said, okay, well, let me find where they tweeted it elsewhere. Here's Bloomberg Markets. Okay, well, here's Bloomberg TV. Same thing. Tried to do it. Said no. I said, okay, let me find another downloader. The same thing. Ooh, video not found. Well, there's obviously a video. And you can and you can see that you could do this with literally any other video you want to try, and it's instantaneous. So maybe it's just a glitch, or maybe there's selective omission of certain content they just don't want to be spread like we have to realize how those kind of algorithmic censorship tools and suppression very clearly exist but if you want to just pretend it's not happening now because elon saved free speech well you're just living in a fantasy world it doesn't matter whether you even actually is if it's still happening we need to ask those questions maybe it's an fbi agent maybe it's an old employee if you want to play that game go ahead but we have to be honest about what's actually still happening i found that to be pretty strange so keep that in mind Because I see it happening more and more, whether it's this kind of thing or searching for things that don't pop up. I definitely think this is part of the game. Now, here is a a post from Semaphore. Here's what's going on with the banking chaos today. Now, this just says the facts. It's from today. It says, here's a rundown of the financial chaos on Wednesday in the wake of Silicon Valley Bank's collapse. Global investment bank Credit Suisse, the stock plunged over 30%. And this is what he was mentioning that I found the most relevant to this whole thing. We just saw the conversation about Saudi Arabia and Iran having peace negotiations or, you know, normalization with China mediating. So we I think we really need to see the writing on the wall, likely, you know, potentially even written on by the United States. But the argument of how or rather just the parties making all this happen. The reason I say that is like the engineered step in this direction, you know, that the new greater reset kind of whether it's CBDCs or just this whole new governmental design that they're trying to drive us into. The interesting thing is we see this shift happening, right? And then all of a sudden you have Saudi National Bank, its largest shareholder, Credit Suisse's largest shareholder, stepping up and going, nah, we're not going to buy anymore. We're done. And And that's what at least one of the reasons this stock plunged. So it's hard not to see the very least. I mean, that's not something that the U.S. government or the European entities are going to be happy about. Saudi's supposed to be something that's kind of on, you know, an entity that's on their side or driving in their direction. But this seems to be another an interesting step. And then again, seen in context with the Iran-China dealings, that's pretty interesting, right? What And this is what made me think that this is a lot of, you know, potentially 
could be a much larger issue. European stocks and banks took a deep hit. Same thing we saw in 2008 with there were suddenly you saw this global effect. The pan-European stock 600 index slid 2.4%. A lot of these things you saw dropping. Now it says the Dow Jones fell by more than 500 points after trading started. Now, remember, they immediately paused a lot of things right after this started because they saw that. Now, how does that make sense? And a whole day goes by, or multiple days, and it begins again. And, oh, no, pause because they're doing what we don't want. At what point does this become our manipulation? I mean, it already is from the beginning. Major U.S. banks are also sliding with shares of Wells Fargo falling by 4%. Good, they're a criminal enterprise. Citi dropped 5%, Bank of America 3%, J.P. Morgan and Goldman by 4%. Now, you really think about that that's, you know, I mean, again, you had people out there that lost everything. And, you know, we're talking 3% drop. It's interesting that that's the metric, right? The system is what we're trying to save, not you, not your money. Oil price. Come on, get out of the way. Oil prices fell to their lowest in more than a year to less than $80 per barrel. (laughs) And that's bad. To them, apparently, <laughs> that's a good thing. Right? People actually being able to afford, you know, more so afford gas. But it says, step back. The sudden collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, the second biggest bank failure in U.S. history, raised concerns about the strength of the banking system, despite assurances from the government, because we know how much that helps. The White House rushed to preserve deposits at Silicon Valley Bank, temporarily calming customers and other banks. Startup founders were also given full access to their accounts, meaning they could pay some employees. But things got worse Wednesday when Credit Suisse released its annual report after a week-long delay, admitting to investors that there was material weaknesses in internal control over financial reporting. Yeah, that, that's been there, right? So the, the reality being that this is nothing new. Now, this I found to be a really important part of this story. Now, this same like always, I, somebody this was in a, 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 I think it was a tweet somebody shared, and it was an image. So, as always, I go to find the real image because I don't, or read real tweet because assuming it's there is pretty silly today. So I searched for exactly what it said. According to a report by the Times of Israel, verbatim search, just like you can do in there, used his account, nothing. So this is happening quite a lot, guys. Now, even if this is just an arbitrary glitch, that's a big deal. Because if we can't actually find these things anymore without having the direct link, well, that is an easy way to bury things. And then maybe they just get deleted too. Who knows? But of course, I did find it. It's right there. So again, it's very clear that this is there. But weirdly enough, doesn't pop up. But I'll show you what we did yesterday. I won't do it again. But you search for things and they do still pop up. So why suddenly are these specific things not showing up? That, that, that seem very related to the current talking points. You ask yourself. And I hope at the very least you're willing to ask whether that could be happening. For whatever reason, blame the FBI if you want. But acknowledge that it seems to be happening. Paul Joseph Watson Post, according to a report by the Times of Israel, the country's two largest banks were able to transfer $1 billion out of Silicon Valley Bank to accounts in Israel before it was seized by the feds. Interesting. Here's the actual, I'll, I'll just keep this one here so you can read the link. It's right here if you'd like to read it. Here is the Times of Israel page. Tel Aviv shares drop as SVB figure uh, failure triggers cash flow concern for Israeli startups. March 12th. So at a time when clearly people were struggling to try to get their funds, it's interesting how a foreign entity can step in and be like, we're going to get our money out. And it just happens. There's a lot of implications there. You can decide what you think that means. Now, this, of course, this 
Times of Israel is one of these pages that refreshes instant, you know, every 10 seconds. So I just broke this down in here. This, this is directly from the, sh- the article. You can read it for yourself. Now, SVV, it writes, the go-to lender of techn- technology startups in Israel, which is interesting. So out of all the banks, the go-to lender for specifically tech startups in Israel was SVB. And on Friday, that's when the bank you know, collapsed, as Israel, Times of Israel's writing, forced the U.S. government to step in <clears throat> and seize its assets. What did we just talk about? Were we just talking about this concept of Israeli tech startups and the undeniable, openly discussed overlap, blending of their intelligence agencies, both foreign and abroad? Yes. Whitney Webb's interview we just discussed, CIA Mossad-linked surveillance systems are quietly installed throughout the United States. Here's their article she wrote herself for Unlimited Hangout. So think about this right now. Think about what this means. Weirdly enough, this U.S. Silicon Valley Bank was the primary funding location for these Mossad overlap CIA tech startup companies, one of which is Carbine 911 that's literally routing your 911 calls through foreign startups, you know, for your safety, of course, or any number of other things, which are actual surveillance. The U.S. bank served many Israeli startups and technology companies, sending fears into this industry, the Israeli startup industry, that some firms may find it difficult to make payroll payments at some point the next month if they cannot access their funds they hold at SVB, although the amounts are not yet known. Long touted as the growth engine of the Israeli economy, the tech sector accounts for around 25% of the country's total income tax revenue and about 10% of the workforce. That's interesting to think about, too. These industries that are not just in Israel, these are industries that are largely, many of them, operating in the United States. That's an interesting reality to realize that that's 20%. 20% of the country's total income tax comes from things that operate out of the United States, at least some of them, largely. That's pretty interesting. Commenting on the significance of the Silicon Valley Bank failure for the Israeli startups, Ori Greenfield, chief strategist at Pasagat Invest Investment House, pointed out that a, an estimated 90% of the deposits left are not insured. And we know that. That's, it's more than that, actually. is over the $250,000 area, which they fell into. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said Saturday that he'd been in touch with senior Israeli tech figures vowing to assist affected companies. Quote, if necessary, out of responsibility to Israeli tech, high tech companies and employees, we will take steps to assist the Israeli companies whose center of activity is in Israel, which, again, is the point we were making before. And you can read the comments of of Netanyahu himself and ever in the government themselves about what the, the open stated overlap and blending of their intelligence and military with these startups. The point is that the center of their activity is in Israel. That's whether or not they're based in the United States. To weather the cash flow crisis that has been created for them due to this turmoil. To weather that crisis, he says. Next Vision, a maker of micro-stabilized cameras, right, said it managed on Thursday to withdraw almost all of the $2.7 million it held in the account. Well, that's largely over $250,000, so it's odd that they were able to step in and pull that money out when so many others weren't. This other group, Qualitao LDT Limited, a developer of test equipment for the semiconductor industry, that's interesting as well, said it held $16.8 million at SVB out of a total of $23.3 million it had, it, had and outside, it had in and outside the United States. In a statement <clears throat> to uh, Tace, the company disclosed, I think that's the company's name, <clears throat> or one of them, the company disclosed that it has, quote, no information regarding the amounts 
it will be able to withdraw in the future from the balance of the funds deposited in SVB and in relation to the timing when it will be possible to withdraw those funds. So here's one company that's going, this it, This is what most everybody in the United States is dealing with. They can't access it because they're above, that's where we heard it last, right? Well, Israel's two largest banks, Bank Lumi and Bank Hapo, Hapolam, Hapolam, set up a situation room that has been operating around the clock, interesting, to help firms transfer their money from that bank, SVB, before it was seized to accounts in Israel. Over the past few days, remember, this is written on the 12th. So we're talking about from the 10th to the 12th. You think about what was happening to Americans at that point in this American bank. Over the past few days, teams at these banks, the high tech banking arm of, of, or rather the the banking, high tech banking arms of these banks have been able to help their Israeli clients transfer about $1 billion to Israel. Just let that sink in. How in the world that makes sense? Well, it makes sense when you realize who's actually controlling these platforms, these entities, whether we're talking about high level, like the realization about what's actually going on through this bank within the United States, right? Foreign governments and their intelligence apparatus, at least on the surface with regard to these companies. But what else was going on there, right? There's a lot about this bank that seems very strange. And then we need to ask ourselves whether this was executed or this is an indication of something else happening. Now, this really does seem like the crux of this issue for me in regard to that overlap with Israel and how we literally just talked about how this is rolling out right now. And it's already been there. And what that truly means about the control over this country, rather the the influence over the Israeli government has over U.S. policy. You can choose to be ignorant about that and take that as some kind of secret wink, wink, racist comment, or you can be intelligent and hear exactly what I just said in a foreign entity having over and undue influence over U.S. policy, whether that was France, the U.K., or anybody else, it would matter. Now, Israel's government being what it is, it's a little more concerning, being a Zionist extremist government, and that's their open comments. And even the ADL in the United States are beginning to point those things out today. The apartheid state that it is, you know, these facts. None of that has to do with any racist comment. But of course, that's how it will be taken because that's all they've got left, the people trying to hide the reality of what the Israeli government is. Now, on that point, Again, please read her article because it's incredible. We need to realize that this is actively being suppressed. Like as we speak, they're trying to suppress the conversations. And to understand, I truly do not believe this is about stopping a bank run. I think this is about using the arguments that they need to suppress that and save the system when I think ultimately they want to collapse the system. But it's really about censoring your understanding of how corrupt it's always been. Your understanding, because look, if you realize that that's the case, well, why are you going to trust them to build the next one, right? It's important to them that you don't see that this is a house of cards. And it always it's not that it got that way. It was built that way. Now, here is, as I was, we got cut off in the last show, Representative Massey was pointing this out, that there were already Dem- a Democratic congressman who was openly asking about censorship around financial conversations. And again, I said, I said yesterday, think about how that even makes sense. There are people, I mean, the, the, the very concept of a financial conversation is that we don't know what's going to happen and that people theorize about what will ultimately pass and how what will rise, what will fall. And what the, but apparently you're not allowed to do that. You see, that's how it works. Don't look at the WikiLeaks. Let us tell you what they say. Everywhere you look, that's how they want this to work. You are not an expert. You're stupid. So you have to let the experts, even though they're wrong about everything all the time, tell you what's going to happen next. That's what they think. 
And guess what? According to CISA, it's already in place. DHS efforts are already underway to add literal censorship of financial misinformation to their portfolio of critical infrastructure. This is where it gets really concerning about domestic threat actors and how easy you can be labeled such a thing if you say what they don't want you to say, even if it later turned out to be correct. How many times we saw that during COVID? We're still dangerous to them. They're still da- we are still misinformation spreaders, despite everything they said was fake later coming to pass. Think about that. Here's their, the CISA post. You can read for yourself. Literally misreading misinformation about financial services. Now, here's uh, Michael Schellenberger. The entire government agency, CISA, part of the DHS should be abolished, which I agree with. And it really, as I said before, the federal government the very inherently unconstitutional concept that is the federal government. Its leaders and programs have flagrantly and repeatedly violated the First Amendment, which they don't care about, which you should know by now. They don't care about any of it. They use those to manipulate you, which is why it's important that we maintain that and hold to those things, even if, you know, I mean, it's important to question these things, obviously. But I argue that they are foundational and and have taken root in people like myself. And I truly believe that if we lean into those things, that we can make this something that is, you know, like it, it, the reality being is that it's only the arbor- the altering of these things that end up making problems. Now, people argue, well, what about the, the amendments themselves? Well, well the, the problem, though, that's not a fair argument because the amendments to the Constitution, which is the Bill of Rights, the point is that, that those were not co- contradictory to the Constitution. You see how that works? You can read them yourself and realize there's nothing in those. They were simply adding to it because they thought it was necessary. Now, the whole point is, and it's been ruled on by the Supreme Court and uh, Mayberry versus Madison, I believe. The point is, if anything is repugnant to the Constitution, it is null and void. No matter whether you get a bunch of criminals in, in, in political positions that force it through and lie to you about it or whether everybody votes for it. The bottom line is it's repugnant to the Constitution. Right now, it may be confusing to people, but at the end of the day, it's ultimately about maintaining that reality. Now, you can disagree with that. Make a fair argument for why we should do something different, and I'm all ears. But I think at the moment where they're abusing that and using it against us is when we need to lean into it. But again, the reality being that there are points to be made about the very beginning of all that and whether its intent was to manipulate. Right? The bottom line is that our rights right now in regard to free speech, Second Amendment, whatever else you want to get into. I was just talking about the 14th Amendment and all the conversation about, you know, the things that we are inherently trap myself with the sentence that, that are inherent, right? Not that are not because the government gives them to you, but that are inherent, God given. Whether or not they wrote that down, it was already present. That's the reality. They can't be taken away from you, they can't be paused. So when we realize these entities are not just for the first time ever violating the First Amendment, but are inherently doing so, their very entity, their very presence often violates the the First Amendment and many others. See what that tells you. See that they're using these things to manipulate you, not that they care about them and are trying to protect them with this stuff. He writes, the Supreme Court rejects government censorship, save those rare cases when speech immediately incites physical violence. But even then, this is the hard part for some people. Even then, we need to realize that free speech is not limited, whether that's fire in a theater or anything else. The reality being that people have, the, the moment we started that conversation is where this continued to slide. It's a slippery slope. And then it becomes, well, the fire in a theater, well, then if you say this and they do that, that's your fault. 
And all it takes is, a, is an argument made by people in power, and suddenly everything starts sliding in that direction, which is where we are. Now, I'm not saying that I think it's the right thing to do for people to be able to scream. You know, it's irresponsible, sure. But if we believe in free speech, then you believe in free speech. If you believe that it should be limited, then you don't believe in free speech, period. And you can argue that's even the right direction, that maybe it doesn't make sense. But you can't keep pretending like you want it and then begin to add limitations. The censorship industrial complex defines harm far more broadly than the Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court defined fighting words in uh, Chaplinsky versus New Hampshire, 1942, as words which, by their very utterance, inflict injury or tend to incite this one thing I hate, by the way, on the phone, if you click that for people that have this long ability, it takes you to like the website. It's the strangest thing, which, which by the way, I even though have this blue check, I'm still unable to do. And they've never charged me more than for, for, for having it. I don't know how I got that, that I'm happy to take it. I don't want to pay them. But he says that inflict injury or tend to incite an immediate breach of peace. We'll say, again, that's a hard thing to hold standby. Now, I would argue right there is how the Supreme Court made a decision that is repugnant to the Constitution. Words are not violence. And if I say a word that leads you to act violently, well, that's my free speech right and your right to do what you want, but you are accountable for your actions. Now, my point would be, based on that ruling, that's considered repugnant to the First Amendment, therefore it should be null and void. But you see, we politics have clearly taken over. To where people are now, I mean, the, a, a Supreme Court judge's only obligation is to uphold the Constitution. They rule regularly that undermines the Constitution. So they've lost sight of what they're even there for. Speech that incites riots is also not protected. And, but see, that's a completely subjective point. And he's just listing off what they're saying. So I'm not, this is not arguing with Michael. The point is that that's where we are. What, exa- what do you mean to incite violence or incite a riot? What if I yell peace and everyone breaks out in violence? Is it my fault? You see what I'm saying? It's completely subjective. The Supreme Court narrowed the scope of what accounts as fighting words in in, uh, Terminello versus Chicago, 1949, arguing that for words to be constitutionally unprotected, they must produce a clear and present danger. Again, that's, I mean, these terms are used in court of law because they argue that there's, you know, a clear and present danger is supposed to be like a, a, like, you know, beyond reasonable doubt kind of a statement. But even that, it gets abused and we all see it today. And the Supreme Court has upheld very strong protections for speech that causes social conflict and unrest. In 1989, the court found that burning the U.S. flag was not incitement. And in 1992, the court held that the First Amendment prevents the government from punishing speech and expressive conduct because it disavows of the ideas expressed. Notes one leader uh, scholar, even if the words are considered to be fighting words, the First Amendment will still protect the speech if the speech restriction is based on viewpoint discrimination. The point is that they have broken this over the years. You can see the argument in there and realize why if we want to actually make... It absolute, which is where it should be, then there's no go- you you can't break that. The only time this becomes debatable is when you add limits, which is co- immediately undermining the idea of free speech. It's as simple as that. Now, last week he writes, uh, Mike Ben Cyber caught CISA secretly changing their website to delete mentions of its domestic censorship effort. Now, why would that be happening? Why would CISA retroactively going back and trying to hide the fact that they were censoring you? Well, because it's pretty damning when you realize that they've always seen you, you, not Russia, not China, but you as the enemy, as the problem, because that's why they're there. 
This is quite concerning. Now, it says CISO's self-invented censorship powers went from being pointed outward against supposed Russian bot accounts to being pointed inwards at tens of millions of U.S. citizens. Now, I would argue it never really was pointed outward. It's always just like the war on terror immediately ended up being directed at you. Or now your body is the new battlefield. It's always a justification to control the population. They're scared more than about you than any foreign power because the, they, they, they can always fight foreign powers. But if they lose control of you, then they lose everything. They only exist in power because you continue to allow that. So the point is they need to keep you propagandized, keep you under control more than anything else. History makes that painfully clear. CISA is deeply dishonest and creepy government agency, which I agree with. It tricked everyone into thinking it was doing cybersecurity when it was actually doing censorship. What a shock. This is truly deranged stuff. DHS worked hard to graft the linguistic jargon of this. I think I'm getting into this next, actually. Yeah, right here. We're coming to those next. The threat threat actors is what we're going to talk about next. That's you. Anybody out there that they claimed it like so? If they if they if they think it's misinformation to say these injections are hurting people, well, you are literally a threat actor, like not a misinformation spreader, but a def- domestic threat actor. That's ex- even in their own terminology behind the scenes, they're labeling you as an actual violent actor. You know, what happens if you go forward 10 years and people don't know that? And all of a sudden you get, you're just listed as a domestic threat actor and you get scooped up as some kind of violent terrorist. Like that is dangerous. But that's exactly the point, isn't it? Now he writes <clears throat> in regard to Representative Colin uh, Alfred, Alred and Chris Hayes, you know, propagandist. You both claim last week that there is no government angle here which is, you know, of course, what they're always trying to undermine and hide the reality. He says, but how do you square that claim with the evidence summarized above here? Well, of course, they're not going to respond because that's, they're not, it's not, they're not, they don't care about the facts. This is like dumping 13 peer-reviewed studies in front of them and they go, ah, the debunked and that person's a liar and blah. It's like, okay, is that journalism? Is that even, is that even objective? No, not even remotely. So obviously this matters, right? And this does, and this information is clear. As, as you'll see, I mean, this is directly from their own information that they've tried to hide. And these journalists in the corporate media just pretend it's not happening. How do you square your claim with the evidence gathered here? And here. And here. It appears that we are in the it's not happening phase. Should we expect the yes, it's happening and it's a good thing phase soon? I love it. Exactly, right? That's how it always goes. So going to the next part of this, which is what he was sharing. Oh, and here's the actual uh, report. DHS quietly purges, this is from the foundationforfreedomonline.com website, miss, dis, and malinformation websites to remove domestic censorship references. Quietly purges their own website. Key takeaways. The Department of Homeland Security's DHS primarily censorship coordinating agency has quietly purged what for two years has stood out as a public confession of targeting U.S. citizens, domestic threat actors, who post mis, dis, or malinformation on social media about specifically COVID-19, U.S. election issues, and just other controversial topics. You know, that gives them the ability to add on whatever. So right now, Ohio, financial institutions, whatever. A Foundation for Freedom Online investigation of Wayback Machine Archives has determined that late last week, DHS scrubbed and redirected a longstanding website link, which is what we keep trying to show you they do, that was come that was home to the DHS censorship team that coordinates private sector counter disinfo firms to mass flag social media accounts using DHS's domestic information switchboard. So they're getting you censored. And people like Twitter, which we're still seeing those, those stupid little boxes pop up underneath, it says, you know, fact check. 
they're wrong about this. Because NBC said, because CNN said, they're still doing that. That's still what they're pointing at. How is it supposed to be? How are we arguing that that's the, you know, the truth when Twitter is still referencing corporate media, which we know have been caught lying over, I mean, almost entirely throughout this entire situation. Number three, the scrubbing comes against the backdrop of mounting public awareness and proactive congressional inquiry and subpoenas into the federal government's role in domestic censorship. Now, right now, you're seeing a huge push coming out of this to overlap this with the Twitter files, which, again, I've made very clear that it's obvious these things are true. And I said that when it started. I said that in the middle. And I'm still saying it now because it was based on the things that I think we largely already proved. And a screenshot of something we've yet to verify does not really add much to it, in my opinion. Now, you think it does, but you have to acknowledge that if all you've ever seen is a screenshot, how do you even know that it wasn't altered? Because we trust Elon Musk. Okay, whatever. Obviously, there's a problem problem there. Anybody honest can see that. So the problem then is that this in a corporate setting, or excuse me, a a congressional setting, then solidifies that in people's minds that this always was true and it always was a valid process. That's not true. You just have Republican leaders who want to lean into this for their own benefit. It's amazing we pretend that source material is not necessary in this world of investigation. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's childish. And you have plenty of high-level actors out there that want to make that make us the people trying to manipulate because that works for their brand. Now, of course, when it comes around, we realize this was always a game, or you know, the Fauci files or Twitter file source material never come out, which is seemingly happening. At what point do they swing back around and make it about something else? And we find out the FBI was still there. You know, it doesn't matter. It's all narrative anyway, isn't it? Question everything. Here is Mike Benz. DHS cybersecurity agency CISA scrubbed its website last week to purge all of the references of their censorship work. Two years worth of confessions to getting platforms to stop domestic disinfo. Since May 1st, CISA.gov had an open public declaration that it classified U.S. citizens who espoused misinformation on social media as domestic threat actors. How long have we been telling you guys this? This is not about disinformation or censorship it's about telling you that if you say certain things you're an actual violent actor it's just on the surface and therefore as a cyber threat to be neutralized whatever that means here's the page when this type of content is released by foreign actors it says and then foreign and domestic threat actors undermine our democratic institutions my God. Now you realize most of what they said was the one was those cat was within those categories have later come to, to be true, you know, proven to be true. I mean, I, I honestly can't even think of one argument that we've made on this show in regard to the COVID-19 discussion at the very least that hasn't later come to pass. Now we've theorized about all sorts of things that I think are still in the air, right? Like about the self-spreading conversation potentially or nano use or spraying, things like that certainly possible but we've never said we knew but the things that we do know like being censored for myocarditis being caused by the injections or being censored for exactly the thing we just discussed which we'll get to which is that if you have natural immunity and then take these shots that it gets exponentially worse yes but yet we're probably on the top of this list dhs has been used has you has been using this language of domestic threat actor to describe accused u.s citizen misinformation posts since october get this 2019 Interesting timing, wouldn't you say? Whole of Society Disinfo Report is what it's called. See after Mueller 
Russia probe fizzled in July 2019, DHS pulled a foreign to domestic switcheroo right after that. Oh, because like the joke that keeps being swinged around, swung around, you know, that, oh, I didn't realize we were on to, you know, bank collapses and I'll take down my environmental collapse wreath or whatever. It's, it's, it's an overplayed joke, I think, but it's, it's humorous. It's, but think about the context of that, right? So we see Russiagate fizzle out. And so they just bring up the new one. Right. Let's roll into the, the COVID psyop or whatever, or however this plays. It's the same thing's been going on. It's about suppressing the truth, guys. And the reality that we should understand here, they know that they on the surface of this are censoring reality and hiding behind misinformation. Now, you may try to break that into some sort of for a greater good mindset. I don't even think that's even on the table. These people are bad actors. For those new here, he writes, this is the DHS's foreign to domestic disinfo switcheroo in action. What is Michael Chertoff here, I believe. What the Russians have done is weaponized uh, social media. The issue is not just the Russians, but frankly, domestic disinformation. How do you think that they've weaponized social media? Literally using it to manipulate public opinion, to put stories out that are biased or phony in order to drive public opinion a certain way. Probably more domestic generation of disinformation content is occurring than foreign. Frankly, I think in, in 2016, it wasn't that clear that the Russian efforts in terms of the actual persuasiveness of the content was all that sophisticated. I think what the Russians may well have learned is they don't have to make the content up. We have people in the U.S. who will do it. There's really two totally different disinformation attacks okay. in 2016. The Internet Research Agency created these personas to uh, take over existing groups in the United States. And then once they had established that, they would then try to push the most radical possible position. I think we talk way too much about Florida. Right. The, the one thing you can see in all this is assumption. Think about the the the... the the gall of someone in this position to shout you down as a manipulator and then literally bank their argument on the assumption that if it is saying X, Y, and Z, that that must be Russian information, misinformation, because, well, that's the thing we said they want to do, right? Or that's what they, isn't it not possible guys, as you know, that somebody could just have that opinion. Somebody just wakes up and goes, this looks like this and puts it on Twitter. Well, what if, you know, and that all of a sudden is a Russian talking point and they're being, they're a Russian shill. What if they just have that opinion? My point is from a whole, from CISA, from a government perspective, they're not that stupid. They know that. It was about wrapping up anything that was actually things they just don't want said and just calling it Russian for me. I mean, we saw this with the Russiagate whole thing. Everything Russian was suddenly bad. And then all of a sudden it shifts. And now, now everything, and now we're back there again today, by the way, but we see these shifts where suddenly everything Muslim was bad. Suddenly everything this is bad. It's just propaganda, right? I mean, it's so I feel shame by watching the way that some of these people in the United States play this game. But I honestly think it's a minority of people that are still trying to benefit from the two-party illusion. But to just go forward, it says, in this October 2019 domestic censorship blueprint document, DHS labeled right-wingers on social media who ostensibly made satirical memes about Colin Kaepernick and Nike as being disinformation threat actors. So people who make a meme are now threat actors. Like, no, in, it's implicit in this that mo most of these anyway are, well, I, 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 I take that back, actually. Memes, 
these days can be either a joke or, you know, just encapsulating important information. But a lot of them are funny, right? Where they make these funny jokes, like the ones they try to tell you are this Russian influence campaign, which are just hilarious in some of the cases where they're making fun of Clinton or whatever else. Now, are you really going to tell me that a meme making fun of Clinton is somehow only unique to Russian misinformation? Those have been going on for a long time, guys, but they know that. So the point here is that you're not allowed to express yourself if it aligns with what they think somebody else might be saying. And maybe they don't even actually think that. Maybe this is just about stopping you from saying what you think by using the the specter of some foreign influence. But he says that the DHS worked hard to graft a linguistic, the, the linguistic jargon of the cybersecurity and counter hacking world in, onto a new world of cyber censorship and counter disinformation. Threat actors were suddenly part of a disinformation kill chain. This is how your government's talking about you for backing Brexit or opposing war, right? Because war is only about freedom, right? No, it's about the war machine. So the people who control this, which are largely the the corporations and the merchants of death, you know, and the larger, more nefarious things, well, they need to stop you because, well, you're hurting the war effort, right? We need this long, forever, 20, 30-year war with Russia right now. We need the ongoing Afghanistan war. That's how this works. That's disgusting, isn't it? Because that's immediately, those are people's lives. The destabilization of an entire country so they can make a few more bucks, so they can control a few more opinions. Steal a little more lithium, whichever way it goes, rare earth minerals, whatever we're talking about. As it says here, War in Syria, Hong Kong protesters, right? So when you see this, you know very clearly this is not about defending the truth. It's about controlling a narrative. That's why this is secret. And so what they, what we need to realize is obviously Syria was a wildly propagandized war, as all of them were. The Hong Kong protesters, another regime change tactic, all of this, offering a counter narrative to the status quo. It's just wild to me. Back then, DHS didn't loudly and proudly claim open power to coordinate the censorship of domestic political speech. That changed in January 2021 when the Countering Foreign Influence Task Force rebranded with a foreign and domestic focus. And that's where it gets into, you know, the hyper focus on you as well. The the, the formally known, formally known as the Countering Foreign Influence, but now it is both, right? So the shift he's pointing out was when they, at least on the surface, said we're going to be looking more at you than anybody else. From May 1st, 2021 forward, CISA targeted domestic threat actors who posed Posted misinformation opinions, mostly about elections or COVID. CISA's new focus on both foreign and domestic censorship to reflect the changing information environment, of course. But sometimes between February February 24th and February 26th, CISA's once public declaration of long-arm jurisdiction over domestic opinions online seems to have been walked back. Now it redirects to a foreign-only focused page. There's just no misunderstanding that. So it was about foreign influence. Then it shifted to going, well, you're more the problem. And then, oh, well, we were too on to take it back. Go back to foreign influence. I mean, it's, these people are criminals. This is openly dishonest. This is, this is how stupid they think we are. And of course, you'll get the screaming, bleeding influencers that will come in and tell you you're a conspiracy theorist for saying, and here's an explanation of why. And sure, you can listen to that as well. But ask yourself whether you think this adds up, especially with what we can prove about what they've done, what they're doing, and all the things they still censor that we know are true. Every reference to CISA's extensive years-long censorship program has been scrubbed. It's gone. They even purged references to their domestic disinformation switchboard, which, which CISA officials and advisors used to openly, used to openly brag was synced on, sicked on domestic social media accounts targeting exactly what we just talked about. 
So they brag about it. And then it shifts into cover up, don't talk about it anymore, and you're crazy if you bring it up. So why is CISA, once the great government hope of the censorship industry, walking it all back now? Did CISA get too cocky with Director Jen Easterly claiming its jurisdiction extended into the cognitive infrastructure inside U.S. citizens' heads? Yeah, because that happened. Yes, because the point was we caught on and we go, well, that sounds eerily like the fourth industrial revolution implantable kind of mental nanotechnology biosecurity direction. Oh, well, okay, well, they're catching. Let's roll it back. CISA played an, an instrumental role in the effective killing of free speech online after the 2016 election. They now appear to be trying to quietly return the murder weapon to the crime scene after holding on to it for three years. It says, is the Jim Jordan subpoena to the tech platforms and government collusion? Is it upcoming? And, you know, questions. But interesting. As Josh points out, it's definitely illegal. And that's why they're scrubbing their sites. The censorship machine that has already been built is insane. By the way, if you haven't checked his account, he does great threads. Make sure you check him out. An interview with him. Now, go, next point here before we wrap this up and go on to the forever chemicals discussion. This is Mark Carney, a rumored committee of 300 member talking about made-up financial schemes, including carbon credits, biodiversity credits, and debt-for-nature swaps. These people are going to cause the biggest financial meltdown, which will lead to mass famine and death. Now, ask yourself whether that's what's happening. Just a possibility. Regardless, listen to what he's saying and realize that they obviously have a mapped-out financial world that they want, that, we're not, that we don't have, and ask yourself how both of these things can simultaneously happen. How is it possible to roll this out without destroying the one before it? And ask yourself whether that's exactly what's happening right now. Being small amount of money early on, getting the projects ready. That's the first. Second element, um, and I'm sure we'll get into more detail on this. Others will. Um, is around uh, the whole world of carbon credits, uh, biodiversity credits, debt for nature swaps, and the ability to help unlock. We need layers of capital, in, again, to catalyze um, investments that need to happen to help stop the wanton destruction of our ecosystems. Remember, 11% of uh, emissions last year were from deforestation itself, 11% of total emissions just cutting down. We need to s slow, stop, reverse that. And private capital has an important, or philanthropic capital has an important role to help build something that will bring much bigger layers of uh, private capital. Um, last point, um, which is that um, we uh, have a need uh, in all of these situations, and I'm going to defer to the minister because she's been architect of, uh, of this in Egypt with Nuefe, uh, we need a just transition. Uh, these changes bring widespread displacement of workers, impacts on communities. Uh, we need retraining. We need on-the-ground assistance uh, there and now. And again, a real role for philanthropic capital. My core point is that these interventions unlock tens of billions of dollars. And I'd like to say that the private sector is going to move in and do them, and maybe they should, but we can't wait. Uh, and that was a core point of John's. And actually, in many respects, the expertise resides elsewhere, which is in the philanthropic community. Right. And so as with all of these conversations, it's now think about the mindset of somebody who truly believes that we can't wait because we're all going to die. I mean, that's what he's saying, that if we don't do this soon enough, the world's going to end because we'll kill ourselves because climate change like that is a genuine opinion. So why can't we see how that drives irrational action? 
Like, even if you think they're right, can we not acknowledge that drives people to make choices that are based on the idea that if we don't, we're all going to die? That seems like you lead somebody to make an irrational choice, especially if you might ask whether or not it's even happening the way they say it is, which plenty of experts think. So if it's even possible that they're wrong somehow, the closer we get to where they keep telling you until they kick the can further down and go, no, sorry, we meant 2040, is that ultimately people will act in rational ways. And what he's telling you is that's not that's just one person, but they will openly and constantly tell you about the new economic financial system that they want to create. And it's all based on your carbon credits and your social credit and your ESG, SDG, everything they keep telling you about. But again, that's not possible without the collapse of the one that's currently happening. So we can just assume that they'll just happily wait until that collapses on its own, right? Because they're honest. Well, here is what they were already talking about. This is from... November 15th, 2022, right before this. It's interesting. Banking giants and New York Fed start 12-week digital dollar pilot. That's weird. So they started the digital pilot back in November, and then what happened? I guess they just forgot about that. Or it did. they win, they did it, and they're okay, we're good to go. Execute. <laughs> just theorizing, just talking out loud, you know, conspiracy theory-wise. Ultimately, we know that this is the direction they're going. All jokes aside, all of these large entities, the most, most every government in the world right now has is in some form of the uh, 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 some stage of developing a digital dollar, central bank digital currencies, almost everyone around the world. How is that possible? How is that not a global conspiracy? You realize the word conspiracy doesn't have to mean what they want you to think it means. It just means that they got together. They discussed this is the plan. Call it a good conspiracy. It's a conspiracy to save the planet. That's what the word can be used as for crying out loud. It's using a Christmas song. So we realize that it's not the way they want you to think of when you hear the word conspiracy. The point is, it is a global conspiracy. These have these these are coordinated efforts. Build back better. The great reset. New normal around the world. Instantaneous. So the point is, why are we having this conversation about the direction of the digital dollar? And yet no one's really talking about that on the surface right now, at least in the context of the, what's happening to the banks. That scares me. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody in the context of, you know, doomsday predictions and fear porn but i want you to be prepared and realize that this is not about what's happening now it's about what has always been happening with this broken and corrupt system you i would have said the same thing a year ago the the banking system is ridiculous and as i said before when you are making a couple cents maybe that if you got the right kind of interest rate by seat by keeping your money in the bank for the average person you know a cent a couple cents a month or whatever it is you are spending more money through fees, transactional fees, everything else that happens by having the money in the bank. If you add it up at the end of the year, you spend money to have that account. Now, other than using that to be able to engage with the financial system, which is unfortunately necessary, why would you ever keep all your money in the bank? Security, I understand to a degree, but I personally, as I said before, find it to be much more secure than, you know... <laughs> If having it under your under your bed in a shoebox and having it in one of these systems right here that is just primed to be taken from you. Just my opinion. I'm not a financial advisor. You do what you think is right, but we need to see what these things really are and then act accordingly. Now, this in the conversation about the censorship, right? How a domestic threat actor is the conversation here. Because you shared a meme about Colin Kaepernick or something they didn't want you to talk about, Right? Here's an example that's pretty chilling. This is it from the Myth Pilot Paulos Twitter account. He says, here's the story of Doug Mac uh, Mackey, a Twitter poster who helped Trump win the election. A lot of this is opinion, by the way. What he, a, a lot of what this person is saying, I, I, don't, I don't even agree with half it, but I want to read through it. This, this, here's a pers personal opinion on what did happen, though. That this person 
Douglas Mackey is being charged with a crime for making a meme. This is the conclusion, the logical step of where we've been warning about how this goes. And this is not new, by the way, right? This is from 2021. So it's really just a matter of time before this becomes more of a prominent thing. He says, here's the story of Doug Mackey, the Twitter poster who helped Trump win the election in 2026, 2016, excuse me, and is now being prosecuted, persecuted by the Biden DOJ for posting memes. He goes to trial today. This was on the 13th to face 10 years in prison because they argue that his memes somehow influenced the election. Now, this is the, this is a very important case here, guys, because this is the same game as words and violence. They're arguing that by posting a meme, a joke, or even something that's not a joke, that everybody else can do, that that somehow was influencing something that was unjust, like it undermined Clinton's votes, which is what the point is, that that is a crime now. Why? Because it had an effect? What if he posted it and it wasn't popular? If that wasn't a crime, then it shouldn't be a crime when it gets attention, right? It's not the outcome, it's the act. Right. That's like saying because, you know, you stab that guy in the chest, but he didn't die. So you're good. Well, no, you stabbed him in the chest. The point is that you, you, you committed a crime. In this case, no crime was committed until they warp it into being a crime for the benefit of where this goes. Now, Ricky rose to fame as a brilliant Twitter personality. He writes as at his peak, he was more influential than NBC, CNN, Colbert Report, Colbert Report. He reached and energized millions. Again, a lot of his opinions, but he was very prominent. He had a talent for making Hillary Clinton look foolish and for eviscerating journalists. Good for him. President Trump was elected in part because of the groundswell he helped mobilize. Now, you know, I mean, some Republicans might feel that this is almost leaning into the narrative of the left. that Somehow this was manipulated. Right. I mean, it's, I don't think I mean, memes were are powerful and they can be. But are we going to pretend that it wasn't happening on all sides? You know, it was. I can show you a thousand different left memes that were going around. It, 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 but bottom line is. It doesn't matter. He has every right to post whatever he wants that's not violating a law. You don't retroactively create a law and then try to hold him accountable, which is what they're doing. In 2018, <clears throat> he was doxxed and afterwards went to go live a quiet life in Florida away from the spotlight. But the incestuous trifecta of academics, journalists, and government officials that make up the deep state hadn't forgotten him. In 2021, mere days after Biden took office, which is relevant, Doug was charged with, get this, election interference. Literally arrested by the FBI for election interference. They'd been sitting on the case and finally saw their chance to strike. Remember, for years, they've been trying to get Trump with completely false Russia collusion allegations. If they couldn't get Trump, they'd get one of his supporters. Again, opinion, right? He accused He's accused of committing a crime for posting on Twitter. Specifically, the DOG, DOJ alleges that he engaged in conspiracy to defraud people. So, you know, what the government does every single day of their voting rights. By posting a satirical meme. I mean, this is actually the argument here. Of course, they're going to frame it a little bit differently. But the idea that you posted a meme, and I guess right behind that is the implication that it was, you know, driven by outside foreign powers, which you won't be able to prove because as far as I can tell, it's not real. And that that, consp that was a conspiracy to defraud people of their voting rights because what? You made them vote for somebody else? How does that defraud them of their voting rights if they still voted? I mean, my God, I, I almost feel like this is meant to not actually work, but just to start the conversation, because this is just this is a waste of taxpayer money. This is ridiculous. But we've seen a lot of pretty stupid things lately. Bear in mind, it says 
that this kind of joke around elections is quite common. It is. Here's an example from 2016 that is apparently of no concern to Biden's DOJ. Hey, Trump supporters, skip poll lines in election 2016 and text in your vote. Text votes are legit or vote tomorrow on Super Wednesday. So that's okay. Blatant lies. We all why? Because we all can laugh how dumb Trump supporters are. Yeah, we all know they're stupid. Great trick. Or, you know, let's trick them into the Capitol because we know how you. Right. These are all real things. Right. And the point is none of that matters because it's a one sided argument. Now, yes, you can see that it's a two party game and real and think that it's only the left attacking the right. But, you know, that's not true. If you're honest with yourself, this is just a, a, a hyper focused point. Either way, that is obviously the same thing. Now, here's what it says down here. And this is my point from before. It presents texting as a valid form of voting in the U.S., which is untrue. Thank you for that. Great fact check. Here's a corporate outlet to tell you the truth. But the point is, guys, that if you're going to pretend that posting a meme about Hillary Clinton somehow defrauds people of their rights, but literally trying to trick people under the guise that it's just a joke when there's no indication that it's a joke, to, to text a, a vote when that won't matter or count, even though none of them do anyway, spoiler alert, it's a subjective choice. He's being charged under Section 18 U.S.C. Code 241, a 100-year-old law written to prosecute the KKK. Big shock, right? That overlaps with a racist mindset kind of discussion for violence that has never been extended before to speech. And there it is, guys. This is the beginning, legally speaking, of the words are violence direction. Or rather, just that, that nonviolent things, if framed right by the government are violence because they cause people to do this. So you're literally removing the, the agency of grownups. So the average grownup you're telling us is just too stupid to understand that they make their own choices, that you have to be somebody else has to be accountable. This is paternalism. This is shocking as far as I'm concerned. This is alarming. Yeah, and I think that's the, the, the gist of what I wanted to get into in that point. But you can read the rest of the thread. Here's the actual discussion. You can read it for yourself. This is what we're talking about, guys. For, it says, four years later, Mackey is now being prosecuted. As to this and as to other memes, by the way, for violating the code we just read, punishing conspiracies to, quote, injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any person in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the Constitution. So explain for me why the Biden tweet we just saw, rather the, the left tweet, is not only the same, but far, far worse. It is. It's obvious. Lying to voters in a way that keeps them from voting, the theory goes, is a crime. Okay, so by that logic, the other one would be two. Neither of those are a reality, though. You are an individual who has the agency to make your own choices. If you're the kind of person that will claim that that tweet somehow undermined your rights, then you're a child that doesn't deserve the rights to do any of that because you don't understand them. And the bottom line, I mean, I'm kind of joking when I say that, but the bottom line is that this is just blatant hypocrisy and it's being used to derive us against ourselves instead of realize who's actually doing these things to us. And on that same note, let's talk about Ohio and how right now, apparently they've already been forgotten about financial collapse. And all of a sudden we're back to Flint again. Ohio East Palestine is the new Flint, Michigan that now that they, now that Norfolk Southern and the EPA are aware that we're not paying attention anymore. It's all, it's going to, it's going to be worse than it ever was. Which, by the way, was already were bad because they weren't helping and they were lying and covering up. And now that there's nobody really paying attention, I mean, hopefully that stops. How much you want to bet that just completely falls off the map? This is horror. This is high level problem as far as I'm concerned. 
I think we've proven this. That not, and that's, this is not even just about the level of dioxins they seem to be trying to cover up, but the truth about all of this, the real background problem that's always been here before this crash even started. Whether we're talking about benzene used all around the world in all sorts of, or in the country in all sorts of really dangerous ways that we're pretending we know is above the level, but we're trying to stop, but it still happens and the EPA doesn't care, or forever chemicals, or dioxins, or glyphosate. Or any number of other things that are so far above the level that they tell you supposed to be safe, they know that, and yet no one does anything about it. So it's either a broken agency that does not have control over the system, doesn't care about it, or is trying to make this happen. There's just really no way to misunderstand this. So let's watch this video that I think is really important. I will kind of skim through it of what is being what is happening as of four days ago, and as far as I can tell, as up until right now, way past the time when people are supposed to be getting sick. They were told they were safe on February 7th. This is happening now. A neighbor, and right now, he's puking blood. He works right there in the main part of it. People are going back to work because they have to. They need that money. Not like these big boys in North Fork. They're sitting behind a desk or sitting at home, kicked back in their chair, enjoying themselves. But they got money coming in. Do they care about us? No, they don't even care about their own employees. Sometimes a disaster is so overwhelming that it shocks people out of their political corners and brings really big problems into focus. That's what it's like in East Palestine. I grew up in this county. I live two counties south on Route 7. The last time I was in East Palestine was for the Sweethearts Dance in 2007. That is uh, John Russell there speaking. Uh, local to the area, just for, so people on the podcast can know, because I'm going to play a good portion of this, so I want to make sure they get credit. Link is in the show notes to the full video if you want to watch for yourself. County South on Route 7. The last time I was in East Palestine was for the Sweethearts Dance in 2007. I came back to find out what happened when a nearly two-mile-long Norfolk Southern train carrying hazardous chemicals derailed and was detonated in spectacular fashion on the edge of town. We've been here for over a week. We've seen national figures and camera crews come and go, but what gets lost in so much of that coverage is that the people here still have a ton of unanswered questions. How safe is the air and water, really? Who, if anyone, has the juice to square up with a $55 billion company that right. treats disasters as the cost of doing business? And will anyone step up to lead this time? Do I have to wait until I have cancer or my kids are sick before you guys are going to do anything? Yeah, right. Good question. And in a place where we're at the uh, seemingly like around the globe at this point, one in four people get cancer. Well, clearly, that's an easy thing to blend into. So suddenly you start having high cancer rates and they go, well, cancer's high pretty much everywhere. So good luck trying to prove that. That's how this works. That clip we played from the Dark Horse podcast made the same argument that this is something businesses have clearly picked up on. We've seen it in past disasters where they realize that they can just broaden out the problem, which means they know they're making more people hurt. There's more, the suffering will be exponentially increased, but it happens on such a large area that it becomes very difficult to prove. And then it becomes less, you get less lawsuits, maybe, you know, but the other way around, obviously, is to focus on the problem, do what's best for people, but then maximize the lawsuits and what you're held accountable for, which is what an honest person would do. But you see, the government allows this to happen, so companies act accordingly. 
Nice to meet you guys. Yeah. Um, Can I do an interview? Yeah. Yeah, I'll do one. My name is Luke Glavin. I live a couple blocks from here on Alice Street. Uh, we're in East Palestine, pretty much right ground zero for where the train derailed. Friday night, my wife and I were playing Call of Duty, and uh, we heard some banging around, and we didn't know what the heck it was, so we paused it. You know, we come out here, and it was a spectacle, really. But I kept telling my wife, oh my God, this is, this is big. This is bigger than we're going to even ever imagine. The train derailed on the edge of town late at night on February 3rd. Five cars were carrying toxic vinyl chloride. Left alone... Which, by the way, some people are disputing. I haven't followed up on that part of it, but it seems in Russia, in, in, in RT reported on, in February, before before this, I think it was actually, let me just glance really quickly, the article was written on February 28th about U.S. preparing false flag chemical attacks in Ukraine using these kind of chemicals coming in by train. Very interesting. And with the recent discussion we had was about somebody theorizing that that was, in fact, not vinyl chloride, but a, a different version of something that with, when when burned creates, uh, uh, what was it? Phosgene, I believe. And the point being that that is indicative of a different chemical. I think that was vinyl dichloride. If I remember, I'm speaking off the top of my head here. But the point was that that is indicative of a chemical weapon. And the point was being, he, they argue at the very least that this may have been the, why this was dealt the way it was done or why, why this was essentially covered up and that this was meant to go to Ukraine to be used as false flag. And that's what they were seemingly predicting. And then weirdly, right when this happened, where did Biden go first? To Ukraine. So these are just overlapping points. Nothing, none of that's been proven as far as I'm concerned. Just so you understand that there are arguments being made. I think that's interesting. The damaged cars would have gone off like a bomb. So officials on the scene did what's and really just actually to clarify. So it's not confusing. The reason that's being the reason I would ar say that without is that the argument from somebody who understands the chemical side of this is that burning vinyl chloride does not produce the chemicals that were put out and discovered in the burn. So that's a pretty easy that that makes sense. And as far as I, as far as my research shows, he's right. So it's weird that nobody's pointed that out other than these people. And so what what's being covered up is the same thing I said in the beginning. Why 10 days went by before anybody was even talking about this being called a controlled release. A mushroom cloud of toxic chemicals now radius of the derailment was lifted. Minutes later, the trains were back on the tracks. Right. And it that's important to remember too, guys. That minutes after they they this was early. They brought they tracks were back. Trains were running. But remember, then the EPA suddenly decides they want to do, hey, now we're in control after two weeks. And they stepped in and made them dig up what they buried under the railroad tracks. Right. They dug up a whole bunch of stuff. So think about what that means. Why was it so important within the same day to get that train running right again? What was going on? None of this makes any sense. At the very least, it's just a simple cover up of, of account of, of who's, you know, accountability, trying to stop accountability. But I think it's much more than that. In the days and weeks since, residents have gotten very few answers to their many questions. So, Luke, walk us through what communication has been like of really important information after this derailment. I'm going to give you the shortest answer possible. There isn't any. I mean, right. really, uh, from Norfolk anyways. You're a multi-billion dollar corporation, and they can't even give you the answers to some simple questions that even a little bit of research on Google can give you. There. And also remember, we talked about this right when this happened, that this new system that was out, put out w before this all happened, that was supposed to give first responders immediate access via their phone app to everything that was on the train. Remember, we talked about this. But weirdly enough, when this happened, everybody was confused. Nobody knew what was on the train. How is that possible? 
because there's something involved in that that made that not being shown. So what was being covered up? Every single part of this has the hallmarks of some kind of high level cover up of what was going on, where it was going, what was on there. Doesn't mean that's what happened. Right. I mean, like Occam's razor, right? consider the simplest possibility here. But at the end of the day, there are a lot of indicators that something weird happened here. Just want us to make sure we're considering that because truly, historically speaking, the way that this works, like when you see that your 10 day gap and lack of information systems designed to make sure transparency exists, were suddenly not working properly. All the cameras were turned off. All the people fell asleep. Epstein killed himself. Right. That's how these things tend to work. They're not talking. They're trying to protect themselves. So. Yeah. I mean, but they need to at least let us know what's and since the disaster, hiring contractors for the cleanup, the testing, everything. When they did the test, I was actually crying as the team walked through my house because I said, there's no way in hell I'm the only one smelling this right now. I noticed the smell right away. I can smell a cleaner smell. They said they didn't smell anything <laughs> at all. Right. Of course, so you've had a testing. Right. So you understand we've proven that up until very recently that they can still smell chemicals in the town. So that means these people that went there with the obligation, arguably, to do what to test and make sure they're safe, lied to them. Right. Because she could smell it. Other people with this crew, they could smell it. And they just said, no, no, I don't smell anything. And then later we proved, yes, we tested. And it is, in fact, still in the air a month later. So at the, every part of this is a willful cover up that we need to be honest about your home. Who did that test? That was CTEC. Um, that was the Center for Toxicology and Environmental Health. The Remember that CTEC? This is the group that Kanoa the Great was pointing out, which is easy to look up. They've been associated with some of the most obvious cover-ups in history. Lying about what happened to Katrina, the, the Exxon, the, these discussions where they have been involved, downplayed what happened, and then it, then it turns out that they were wildly wrong. That's what these kind of, I argue that's what this group is, that, you know, this is the kind of group you hire when you want to keep things under wrap. That'd be my opinion. And that's historically what they, whether by action or, de, or you know, by by choice or by incompetence that's what they have been company that uh, norfolk contracted with it turns out the initial testing used to justify the claim that east palestine's water supply was secure was conducted by a third-party contractor hired by norfolk southern Jeez. in a way that didn't comply with the epa's own testing standards and that's february 17th still still it took a, a hell of a lot of time for them to stand up and be like, now we demand they pay for it. And now we're going to take control. Oh, wait, pull those trucks back from Michigan and Texas. Well, no, we want them to stay here. Like, this is either one of the most incompetent displays in history, or this is something else. Or maybe both. It begs the question of why the company that caused this disaster was ever charged with handling the response in the first place. It's not that hard to understand, right? That That's how this works. That is, we investigated ourselves and found ourselves not guilty. There's something bigger happening here. Why the fuck would you let Norfolk do that? Like, why would you let them clean up their own mess? They have Corrupted. every reason to just cover it up. This is what the only thing that I've received from Norfolk so far. This is just a little pamphlet um, just telling us about what they've done. 3,150 cubic yards of contaminated soil and 942,000 gallons of contaminated water. Right there. there. There have been no health risks detected by any test conducted by government independent labs. Except there are, though, and there have been independent labs that have found problems that there's not your labs or the fact that there is an endless amount of people who are having the exact side effects that even the CDC says would happen with this kind of problem. It's everywhere. And apparently they just don't care. No, 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 you're wrong because our test said otherwise. 
But I know we see you're bleeding from your eyes, but no big deal. The test said you're fine. Now, I'm obviously being facetious. That's not one of the things that I've seen happening, but my that's what we're dealing with. People bleeding from their nose and rashes and coughs and nausea. I mean, it's constant. And I'm not saying it's literally everybody, but if you simply ask the town, I mean, this is slowly coming out right now, but now we're all pointing at a bank collapse and these people have fallen off the conversation. That's been the narrative since this started was, guys, it's okay. You know, we've got this. We're cleaning it up. We've made a lot of progress on environmental remediation. We've dug up 4,600 cubic yards. So instead of addressing the problems, all you do is think, we're doing good. We did a lot for you. <laughs> we dug up a lot of stuff. Well, what's, what is the, con- make, give me some context, right? What does that mean? How much is there to dig up? Does that mean it's safe? Like th- this, is, this is the CEO. And this is the same guy who tucked tail and ran every time he's supposed to address the crowd that he did this to, or at least was his company allowed to happen. Of soil and collected 1.7 million gallons of water. We got the wildlife officers out there every day checking our creeks. Everything's dead. Nothing comes around. We used to have birds. We used to have all kinds of stuff. Now think about that. How do you not see what that shows you? They're not just talking about the water, guys. The animals are gone. Now we've we've overlapped this already with the animal conversation. We've talked to the 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 vet that told you their testing was showing poisoning, that they were foaming in the mouth, all sorts of problems, all overlap with poisoning indications and no birds, no animals in the forest. What's going on? We have the example from I forget the group, but that uh, found three dead deer in a really close proximity right on the It seems to be everywhere. We have examples of cows and chickens and foxes and all sorts of stuff. And according to them, none of this is actually happening. Is it the water that's bothering her, or is it something else? She's not manufacturing. She's sick. I've had her at the emergency room three times. I'm being exposed to something in my house. The doctor diagnosed me with contact dermatitis due to chemical exposure. Okay, just think about that for a second. They're being told there's nothing happening, that there's no danger, that the safe air, the air and the soil and the water are safe. She is being diagnosed by a doctor with, with uh, let me hear it again. Diagnosed me with contact dermatitis due to chemical exposure. Contact dermatitis due to chemical exposure. And yet they're lying. This is COVID-19 vaccine side effects all over again. That's a doctor telling you that's what happened. There should be no disputing this. You're missing something, guys. You're covering up something, guys. She's being sickened by the chemicals. The doctor found it. And yet they come up and go, you're all safe. There's no problem because our test said so. EPA said so. Shut up. That's what's happening. These people are not being helped. I try to walk like three feet into my house. I start um, feeling like I'm literally about to black out. We're not dumb. They, they think they can just throw a bunch of science words around and then just expect us not to question it. I'd just really like to know what exactly they're doing <laughs> at this point. Yeah. More full personally. Um, I'd like they're just not taking us seriously. I mean, they match the symptoms identically and they're just still like, oh, those are unrelated. So we are in the press box of the East Palestine High School. I figures coming through. Many communities feel that these moments are the biggest gaslight of their life because you experienced it. You have symptoms, but you're going to be told it's safe. You're going to be told not to worry. Well, that's just rubbish. This is all happening as the Environmental Protection Agency takes over the next phase of the cleanup process. In practice, 
That means that Norfolk is still leading the day-to-day operations while the EPA monitors their progress. But the EPA plans to use its powers to force Norfolk to foot the entire bill for the cleanup. And if the company fails to finish the job, the EPA will do it themselves and invoice Norfolk for three times the original cost. And Okay, let's just say even that happens. Don't worry, we'll just charge them more. What about the people on the ground? So you're just playing a game of chicken with the, with Norfolk Southern? Like, why is it not so... Uh, this is the most obvious thing in the world. They don't care about you. If they were more concerned about your health, which is what's supposed to be their job, then it wouldn't be like, well, make the... Well, if they don't do it, we'll step in afterward in 14 months and make them do it more. Come on. How about you just step in and do what they're supposed to be done as the Environmental Protection Agency to, you know, protect the environment and the people that live in it? I just it just makes me sick how on the surface these bureaucrats play this game and then tell you you're crazy when you're suffering. I want you all to know that we are holding Norfolk Southern accountable for putting this community in harm's way. The EPA oh, oh, has really? a spot. Yeah, we, we, even even then all they're really talking about is money. That's not accountable. They have an entire fund just for this purpose track record of showing up, rushing to say everything's fine, right. and leaving people without the support they really need. Yep. We saw it in Flint, and we're already seeing some signs that it might be happening here. It is happening. Recently, the EPA said that their own testing shared that the air and water near the crash was completely safe. But Texas A&M researchers, using the same data, found elevated levels of nine pollutants that could be linked to serious long-term health risks. Right, and the, and the thing that's not important to mention in that is that they found every single background dioxin that they tested for. And this is our point we keep making. This is one of the possible reasons on why they chose to burn this, if that wasn't just to cover up what was actually there, to blend it in with the background that was already there, that they're all seemingly aware of, but we don't get told. Just like the, the forever chemicals and everything else we're talking about. It only becomes a problem when we start pointing at it and they go, hey, now we care. Now we have a solution for you. Either way, they lied. And these local, these, I mean, how is every one of these points should have been a huge screeching, record screeching stop. Like, okay, we're done. You're lying. We need something done here. So they come in and go, no, we tested the same thing and you're lying. This is like the phase three COVID-19 vaccine trials where they just reevaluate it. They go, holy crap, this is way worse. Not even just worse. It's the opposite of what you said. You're over here going 95% effective. And we're going, whoa, 36% more serious adverse events compared to placebo. How in the world do you pretend they just got that wrong? They're lying to you. And here we can see the same thing. They found nine chemicals above the level of safety. That's not, it's safe. That's not safe. I don't matter if it's 1% over. You're telling them it's safe. It's not safe. They have long-term cancer risk at minimum here, according to their tests that they are lying about. For residents, all of this can feel like a repeat of how Norfolk Southern has been handling the response in the last few weeks. The fact that they gave Norfolk that entire responsibility was beyond me. I just don't know. I hope the EPA can make it right, but I did talk to several federal EPA people already that didn't know. They just didn't know. So I think they should have just been blatantly honest with us, you know? They should have just come right out in the beginning and said, hey, man, this could be a while. You know? Right, okay, and here's the thing, though. When that happens is the point we were making. That makes people unhappy. Even if it's the honest truth, then people are more prone to hold them accountable. They will sue more. And so what they try to do is blend it out into the background. Hope you're not paying attention, lie to you, obfuscate, make the problem blend out, spread it. And then all of a sudden, yeah, they hurt a hell of a lot more people. Maybe there's more angry people in some locations, but by and large, they minimize the problem. It's all dollars for them. It's all accountability. 
Now, if whether or not that's happening is for you to decide. Historically, that is how this game is played. And that seems to be what's happening as far as I can tell. Now, hold on because you don't know what's going to happen. It forms dioxins, which are going to happen. And that's the uncomfortable truth. No one really knows what the long-term health effects of all of this will be. When you burn uh, vinyl chloride, it forms dioxin. That cloud you were just looking at, that was the sky after they burned that. It, it's like a horror movie. I mean, and in fact, it looked exactly like white noise looked, in- interestingly enough. Which are itself their own um, very hazardous form of chemical. Dioxin. And are very, very persistent over long periods of time. Right. That's Emily Jeffers. She's a senior attorney at the Center for Biological Diversity. All right. This is common knowledge, guys. This is what's so shocking to me. They know they did this and whether that, and you know, the only caveat, the only possible difference would be whether they know they didn't burn vinyl chloride and maybe that's why they don't care. (laughs) Either way, the argument is it was done and yet nobody on the surface there's, they could have just been like, yeah, we tested. There's not a problem. They didn't even test for this. They denied it up until very recently. And the EPA in particular has still yet to test this. They're already shipping stuff to other locations. Explain for me how they know how to handle the waste incineration if they don't even know what's in it. The whole point is PFAS, forever chemicals, and dioxins in particular are two of the hardest things potentially impossible to get rid of. And yet they just, so send it to Michigan. Oh, wait, bring it back. Oh, no, now it's going to like 40, 14 miles below East Palestine. I mean, this is crazy. Everything about this shows you dishonesty. And the point is that some people out there just don't ever even hear this because they only watch corporate media and they don't realize they're being played. We asked her about the EPA stepping in and what they can realistically promise residents. What are the full costs and how long will it take us to know what they really are? That's a good question because no one knows. It's going to be years and years and years before we really understand the full costs. A lot of these cancers don't manifest themselves right away. So the harms that folks might see is not going to be readily apparent. And then, of course, good luck trying to prove that a cancer you get two years later is has anything to do with this after you've smoked cigarettes, been in the sun, you know, whatever else they want to pretend is the big problem. Rather, I shouldn't say that having cigarettes, obviously, but I think sun is overblown. But either way, that's how this works. That is how this game is played. I promise you that factor is being considered. The best case scenario is that Norfolk Southern pays a ton of money to these folks. They owe us property value. They owe us our health. They owe us five, ten years from now. And the other, sorry, when things are going on. I just and the other thing to think about is the land grab discussion, because that's a real discussion to be had about whether or not this might have been about something larger. Maybe even just by by never let a good crisis go to waste. Right. Just jumping in. And, well, let's take advantage where you can grab the. I mean, this is right in the heartland here, guys. There's a lot that goes on around here. Important to the cha- food chain, to all sorts of infrastructure, right? I mean, there's a thousand ways you can see this. And we should ask all those questions, but we also shouldn't assume that that's what's happening until we can prove it. That's just intelligent. I don't know how these people can't have any type of, like, sympathy. Bust out the checkbook, man, and start paying people to clean this shit up the right way. East Palestine residents have already taken it upon themselves to file multiple lawsuits against the company. And if they're lucky, they can even profit from them. 2005, Norfolk Southern fought accountability for. The, I'll, I'll reference the, the Brian Festa interview we just did. The only in it, in lawsuit that I've seen that's holding the directly suing the EPAs, both local and federal, as well as DeWine and other officials involved, as opposed to Norfolk Southern, which I think both are, are reasonable. But EPA, as Brian points out, is the only entity that had the, the power to effectively art, tell people that they needed to evacuate which is what didn't happen early in multiple points when it should have. Right. And you could discuss whether that's a power government should have. And the point is in the context of the 
disaster, right? That is a real disaster. That there are actual problems. Norfolk Southern does not have the ability to be like, you guys have to get out of here. It's a company, right? So the argument is that they had a legal obligation to do what was right for people once this began to be a problem and continue to do so or not do so right up until now. So I think they've got a real case here, guys, with all the testing and all the things that are coming out. Hopefully these people through that lawsuit find some kind of resolution because I don't see it happening anywhere else. A similar disaster that they caused in South Carolina, which killed nine people and led to the hospitalization of over 500. Wow. The company was ultimately forced to pay $4 million in fines to the federal government and over $10 million in settlements, a far cry from what was needed to cover the actual harm inflicted on that community. And, and just ask why in the world the federal government needed $4 million for something. Like, how does it make sense? That's already happening here. All the stuff they already talked about, most of the money they're talking about goes back to the fire departments and the government. It's not even going to you. It's just such a scam. Not to say the fire department shouldn't deserve something for the actions they took, but realize that this is always how this works. They're using your suffering and their own failures to profit in some ways. And I'm not even I'm not necessarily saying Norfolk Southern, but the government. And that's clearly part of this, in my opinion. But I think that's what but we're now doing. investors on Wall Street are pointed to this example as a reason why Norfolk Southern's value right. is unlikely to be impacted by the disaster in East Palestine and why now might actually be a great time to buy Norfolk Southern stock. I it's would. important to remember this isn't some fight. huge conspiracy for companies like Norfolk Southern destroying an entire town like this is just the cost of doing business. This company town? that's owned yes. by J.P. Morgan, Vanguard, well, and BlackRock. Let's not. Alan yeah. Shaw's a pawn. So, so he's a pawn. He makes eight million dollars a year. Yeah, eight million dollars a year. He lives in an eight thousand foot square mansion. Okay. He doesn't care about the people. I'm angry. I'm angry about this. I've lived in East Palestine for sixty five years now. That's my home. I, I don't feel safe in this town now. You took it away from me. You took this away from us. To you, look me in the eye. I can't hit you with my pocketbook. I can't touch you with anything other than my heart. And listen to me, please. My grandchildren, my children, why not? It's not safe here, sir. We're sick. You breathe. You are no different than any other man. I want to be as close to you as I can, sir. If you want our trust, I'm begging you. By the grace of God, please get our people out of here. Yeah. There's an entire point that's not being discussed here that these people aren't capable. They do not have the where the, the ability. Let's just make it simple: the financial ability to to move. Maybe they had an opportunity to go stay with a friend for a little bit of time, but a lot of these people right now they don't have anywhere else they can go. Especially coming off of the the absolutely financially destructive COVID nineteen illusion that stole money from everybody. These people are stuck, and now they're stuck living in a place that they know is dangerous, and they can't do anything about it. And now we're all pointing at the financial system that's executed and being collapsed in front of us. It drives me crazy how clearly dishonest these people are. ...largest hazardous waste incinerator. That person is my mom, and the incinerator is just down the road from where the train derailed in East Palestine. Contaminants from this disaster are being burned off there right now. This is what we just talked about. 
This is the location that is right down, very close to East Palestine. They are shipping the stuff to be burned that close to an area when they don't. The argument is that this is going to burn and redistribute right around the area because they have not. These are not set up to deal with the kind of things that are in there, whether it's the forever chemicals, the dioxins or other things we've talked about. And guess what? They don't even know if they're in there because they haven't even tried to test for it, or at least they haven't told us they did. Heavy polluters have always been in Columbiana County, and for the longest time, it felt almost impossible to speak out against them. This time feels different. I think it brought uh, attention to a lot of people, especially in, like, sleepy little East Palestine that never really questioned a lot of things that, like, big things like that. Because, I mean, that's, that's a, it is a big thing. You think politics don't involve you until they directly involve you. The Norfolk Southern disaster was big enough to shock people out of their political corners and raise questions about how business is done. How do you measure profits and stock prices against the value of people's lives, against clean air or clean water and soil? Can politicians really take money from corporations and be expected to hold them accountable? Right. And who is the government for anyway? That's the crux of the lobbying discussion or the reality that our, we don't live in a democracy. Right. The Princeton study or any number of studies that have verifiably proven that your vote has a near zero statistically insignificant outcome on policy or influence. This is, this is a Princeton study. Nobody cares. Right. Lobbyists and powerful people are what execute this. Now, there's some that when they say near zero statistically insignificant, think about what that means. You're all going out in droves to vote and try to influence. And the reality is the powerful people that are still the powerful people and the power, the, the, the large companies, the lobbyists and the money, that is what drives this future. And that is why the same things keep happening. And that is why they maintain the two-party illusion. So we keep pointing at ourselves inst instead of realizing why this keeps being broken or rather patched up and pushed forward. And it, I just feel like we're screaming into the void. It really, really, truly does. I wish... It wasn't up to us to have to do everything ourselves. Like, I mean, I uh, I just want to go back to like a normal life and do the stuff I want to do. Like, not just try to figure out how to like avoid this like chemical apocalypse right now. We might not have the Palestine that everybody wants, but I think it's definitely a possibility for us to at least be safe somewhere with everybody's voice and a continuous cry from the community. It's not too late. It takes a lot to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a $55 billion company, and I think that company is counting on people uh, to return back to normal and to not speak up about it and right. kind of let whatever happens to their town happen to their town, but those people are clearly set on uh, taking a different path, and I wish them all the luck in the world, which they will need. Just it's I think it's important that we showed that. And I hope you guys will take the time to support what he's doing. I mean, look, it's gets 1.2 million views. As far as actually, I think that had far less subscribers before this happened than good. You know, it's well done. And it really does cut to kind of show you the reality of this. Now, don't ever think that one documentary is going to encapsulate everything going on. Ask questions. Think outside of what's being discussed here. But the reality is very clear on the ground, guys. Undeniably so. Now, to kind of fold this back into what's currently going on, and this should kind of outrage you, in my opinion anyway, here is Pfizer CEO Albert Borla announcing acquisition of a cancer treatment, BioNTech Segan, for $43 billion. 
right? I mean, look, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be because of this, but at the very least, it's easy to point out that this is going to increase cancer rates and that this is just another way to profiteer off of your suffering. And using, guess what, mRNA technology, which is only a guarantee in my mind to make this worse. One in three people in the world are going to have cancer in their lifetimes. Now, ask why that is something we just casually brush over. That's disgusting. And that was not like that before all of this. Just take a quick dance back into a very recent future and realize that this has been blowing up. Or things like why medical treatment in the U.S. is a leading cause of death. Or, you know, these are these inherently contradictory things that we point at and discuss and dismiss and excuse this is being done to us whether by malfeasance criminal activity or direct targeting we are being sickened and they're now capitalizing even on that this bothers me guys it really does here is corporate America. We just read over this the other day. I just want to include this tweet again. Make sure you support him. He's been doing some good work here. Did you know? And I, he has an article he's, uh, we might, we, I'm going to look into for TLAV. It says, uh, basically, the, did, he discovered the PFAS discussion. We read this article last time. How the plan to incinerate the soil from Ohio is horrifying, says the experts, for the reasons we just discussed. That they literally don't know what's in this, or rather they do and don't care. And they are burning it in places that aren't designed to deal with dioxins or PFAS chemicals. And they don't care about that. I mean, it's really incredible. And it just shows you that they're hoping that you don't pay attention. Because the, the, the crux of the point is it's always been like this. They've been testing, as we showed you with a CNN article, for dioxins, for example, in 1995. And found 150 times the safe level in food you were buying for your children. Did you hear about that? On the, nothing changed. It got worse. Same thing today. Same thing with all of this stuff. Wait, benzene becomes focused on because of this crash. And all of a sudden we go, whoa, look at this. Benzene's like an acknowledged problem that we know is super dangerous. And it seems to be in all sorts of skin products. It seems to be used all over this country and nobody can explain why. It's mind blowing. So here is a sudden, sudden, or suddenly the EPA, EPA cares. Weird, right? All of a sudden, we suddenly, suddenly forever chemicals find their way into the common, the, the main stage. Right. Not some arbitrary like here's the thing we talk about for 10 seconds on CNN or Fox and brush it aside, and never bring it up again. But the main stage, right, the conversation that they can't control. And suddenly we're going, oh, now people are going, what are these things and why are they everywhere? Well, now, guess what? The EPA protection, the EPA on Tuesday. Yesterday proposed the first federal limits on harmful forever chemical. Gee, it only took them 20 years. Sure. Glad they stepped in harmful chemicals in your drinking water that have been there for a long time and long awaited protection. The agency said will save thousands of lives. Think about being a journalist and framing this as the long awaited protection, as opposed to the absolute dereliction of duty or the absolute willful ignorance of a dangerous reality that they only just now pretended to care about. Think about that. Including cancer. The plan will limit toxic PFAS chemicals to the lowest levels that tests can detect. I'd love to see how that's going to happen. You know, the thing that they have no idea what to do with, they can't, they can't remove, they can't burn in most cases. But we're going to lower it, though. We're going to lower it, guys. You mean like they pretended they've been... Like, this is the problem, is that they, these dioxin, PFAS, chemical discussions have been here for so long, we've known they were above... They're at dangerous levels for years. So either they never cared about you keep, keeping you safe and they didn't do anything about it, or there's a part of this where they realize they don't know what to do. I think it's actually both. 
But here we are at a point where they're telling you they're going to handle it when they don't know how to handle it. And they're going to bring it to the lowest level possible when it's only gotten worse over the years and they didn't do anything then. Quote, the science is clear that long-term exposure to PFAS is linked to significant health risk. So let's quickly take a dance back. Okay, so if we know, as according to Mr. Cancer at this point, one in three people in the world get cancer, which is just obscenely disgusting to me, ask yourself why they've allowed a decade of long-term exposure to PFAS. Maybe that's why. Or maybe they just didn't care, and maybe we're seeing them fall out of that, and they're benefiting from their own criminal activity, and now they're going to step in because we're paying attention. I don't know. But either way, there's just no misunderstanding that they didn't do anything until now. I, I My previous shows... I showed you studies from 10, day, 10 years ago where they're going, this looks like a problem. Their use is now mostly phased out in the U.S., but some still remain. That's not, it's not entirely true. The point, though, is that we're going to, we care all of a sudden yesterday. Well, guess what? Here is the one, the old, I could have shown you a hundred examples. Here's National Geographic from 2020. And it goes back a lot further than that. This was just the best article I found with all the information. It says, toxic forever chemicals more common in tap water than thought. So are we going to pretend that it took the EPA three years to realize what National Geographic was proving? Obviously not. It's clear they didn't care. Testing done by Environmental Watchdog shows a class of chemicals called PFAS are running through dozens of U.S. cities. So can we go ahead and assume that three years is enough for long-term risk? I would guess so. So they allowed three years. They allowed three years of, of tap water forever chemical contamination. And as we see, that clearly leads to significant health risks for cancer. So ask yourself if that's incompetence or if that's deliberate action. Has to be one, doesn't it? Now, this is January 24, 2020. PFAS, a class of more than 4,000 different chemicals, is everywhere. It turns up in everything from household items to fast food wrappers. Oh, sort of like dioxins then. It, it's even been found in our blood. So like glyphosate then. You see my point? And new research published this week by the nonprofit in 2020, Environmental Working Group, shows it's prevalent in tap water as well. It's in your blood. It's in the air. It's on the ground. It's in your food. It's in the tap water. But yeah, no big deal until suddenly we care in 2023 after a big Ohio incident. In December, a military spending bill included new PFAS regulations. Let me say that again. A spending bill for the military included regulations for something they're only just now acting on? They know they, they, they know we don't know. I, I would argue there's a percentage that they wait for. Not enough people are talking about this online. Suddenly, when enough people start going, what are forever chemicals? Then things like this happen. They step in to say, oh, we care. Right. Because it's clear that the government was aware of this and even regulating its own military from continuing to pollute you. But you realize regulating it doesn't mean stopping it. So they allowed them to continue to pollute with chemicals that aren't going away. Now, think about how dumb that is. I don't care if this is a fraction of one percent or 20 percent. You're producing things that don't ever go away. Again, ask yourself how they're going to reduce that then. And they knew this. It says they didn't do enough to meaningfully address the contamination. Oh, shocking. It was a bunch of lip service and they just kept doing the problem? Yes. Earlier this month, the U.S. House of Representatives in 2020 passed a resolution. So now we're into Congress here that will be voted on in the Senate later this year. Can you guess what didn't happen? And in September, the movie Dark Waters offered a fictional take on a 2016 New York Times article. So now we're back in 2016 about how corporate lawyer Bob Billet 
took on DuPont. DuPont, one of the largest polluters of PFAS. What a shock. You mean DuPont, who was the largest criminal actor in the Teflon scandal? Or any other number of very obvious criminal environmental scandals? And you're just one of the largest companies still that's completely basically merged with the government and called it? Yes. In 2016, the New York Times wrote an article about an older story of this this contractor for the government being one of the largest polluters of forever chemicals. Jump to 2020, 2020, we have Congress discussing a bill to stop it. We've got military trying to roll it back. We're not doing enough. Now jump to 2023 and ask yourself how in the world it took this long for the EPA to say something about it publicly. This is criminal act. In tests of 44 different taps in 31 states in 2020, the environmental group found that 43, 43 out of 44 in 31 states exceeded a limit that they deemed safe by EPA standards. So right in this moment, the EPA is acknowledged, they're, they're, they're told 30, 43 states, 43 different taps, excuse me, in 31 states exceed your safety limit. Do you think they jumped to action? Do you think they rushed in and quarantined? They didn't do anything. So then let's be honest about what this safety level is. Arbitrary. Or rather their hands are tied and they have no control over what happens. And it's not about safety at all. Quote, I think it's one of the biggest threats in drinking water that people don't have a complete understanding of. And it's been around for decades. In 2020, they say this. Now we can take it back to at least 2010. My point is it goes back a lot farther than that. And they have always known about this. And this is just one of them, guys. There's a hell of a lot of these that are pretty ubiquitous at this point. Ask yourselves how we're even surviving. And I'm kind of being facetious, but truly. Glyphosate, forever chemicals, dioxins, benzene. I mean, you keep going forever. These things are everywhere. GMOs. It's, we are being poisoned. Whether that's by design or not is up for you to decide. But the truth is they don't really care about keeping you safe. Not the FDA, not the CDC. I think we see that by now. And that doesn't mean it's always been that way. It means they've been captured, but we should ask that too. We come into contact with PFAS through the things we buy, like furniture, clothing, according to the EPA. Most drinking water contamination results from living near facilities that handle PFAS, like manufacturing plants or wastewater treatment facilities, like the one that just blew up, I guess. (laughs) I wonder if that's going to play a factor, right? I mean, this, this is everywhere right now. Brunswick County, North Carolina, and Quad Cities, Ohio, had tap water samples that exceeded EPA limits for PFA, PFOS and PFOA. The EPA has a health advisory for two chemicals, for those two chemicals, saying that they shouldn't exceed 70 parts per trillion in drinking water supplies. But they do in those two cities, and they didn't do anything about it. Big shock. Health advisories function differently from the EPA's list of originally regulated, officially regulated chemicals. It's essentially the agency's way of acknowledging a chemical shouldn't be in drinking water. And advisories have no enforcement power. Okay, so it's all meaningless then? You set a limit that nobody does anything about? You allow it to get to that limit and you don't do anything to stop it? And then you just go on with your lives? So what in the hell are we paying you for? Okay, this is just so mind-numbingly stupid. While those living adjacent to major manufacturers that use PFAS are more at risk, the products made from various PFAS chemicals are so ubiquitous. So that means everywhere in this country, cleaning products, nonstick pans. So DuPont striking again, rainproof coats, stain resistant carpet, food packaging, and just about 
everyone has it in their bodies. This is the glyphosate thing all over. The fact that it's so ubiquitous that we have it in our bodies, it's too late, essentially. That doesn't mean we shouldn't stop it from being worse, but my God. And we think they're going to quibble about some dioxins being put out in the atmosphere, about putting dangerous things in your body with injections, really? Regular testing conducted by the U.S. Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry finds it, it, finds it present in nearly every blood sample they take. That means right now, your blood most likely has dio- or has forever chemicals in it right now. What does that do to you? Well, have a good time looking up the research. It'll scare you. Now it says here, manufactured in the U.S. They haven't been manufactured in the U.S. since early 2000s, so we're told anyway, though they can still be found in imported goods like textiles, carpets, and plastics. PFAS alternatives to PFOA and PFOS have been linked to health complications. So this up here again is the point about these two they argued were exceeding limits in their tap water. Well, those are supposed to be the alternatives to PFAS. So the problem never stopped. Even the places where they said, here, use these instead. In toxicity reports of those two replacements, the EPA found each of them could lead to kidney damage, immune system impairment, and reproductive issues. Those things seem to be pretty ubiquitous, don't they? It's almost like that's being targeted. Of the prevalence of PFAS found in their study, Andrew says, quote, it's a clear indication that the EPA and their ability to set clean drinking water standards is completely broken. Jump forward three years and we're still there. So clearly we care, right? Chemicals found in tap water are regulated by the Safe Drinking Water Act, which passed in 1974. However, a new chemical hasn't been added to that list since 1996 because of an amendment that allowed the EPA, of course, instead of Congress, to decide when to add a new chemical to its regulatory repertoire. Now, of course, when you realize it's a captured agency that's basically run by lobbyists and big corporations that counter its actual mandate, well, then you wonder, then you completely make sense of why no chemicals have been added since 1996, despite all of these very clear, dangerous things that we can see before and after 1996. The amendment also made it more difficult to prove a chemical was irrefutably a, health, a human health threat. Because that's in the best interest of your safety, right? We got to make sure that we don't overzealously regulate these dangerous chemicals. We got to err on the side of profit. Yeah, that's exactly what that's for. My God. Now, here's a new post from yesterday. Saying just warn that your toilet paper might contain toxic chemicals. Suddenly, we all care. But how much you want to bet it doesn't actually change anything. God, it just makes me sad. Now, in the same vein of conversation, let's reasonably quickly try to go over the COVID-19 overlap to all of this and how these things are the same thing. Just making people sick. And as always, you can decide how you think this plays in. But I see this everywhere, whether we're talking about the stuff in the water, the stuff in the air, the stuff in the ground, the stuff in your clothes, stuff in your blood, or the stuff being pumped into your blood. We are being poisoned. Now, I really don't, I'm not saying that in the sense where I think it's all the time, always some concerted effort, but it does kind of feel that there's some coordination here. Obviously, I even said that I, I should even saying that I felt that was wildly downplayed. I've made it clear that I think there's obviously some of that happening. Here is Vaccine Safety Research Foundation. Quote, my colleague over there says we've saved a million lives with these injections. He says vaccines. That is utter and complete nonsense. These vaccines saved no one. This, I, this is what I, I truly believe this. Across the world, the most highly vaccinated countries had the worst case fatality rate. 
pretty easy to understand. It's true, easy to prove. But the the, the question or the, the 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 point about whether it's, I I think it was clear a long time ago that these were not beneficial to literally anybody. Now there's been a lot of doctors that have since come around to that. But I think there's a lot of them that still argue, like the person he's debating here, that they're like, you know, well, over 60, there was some benefit. No. God dang it. No, guys. It's so clear that these are dangerous for everybody. Now, that's my opinion. But I think I've proven this with the peer-reviewed science they put out. And at the very least, if they're saying trust the science, the science shows that they're dangerous. So it's really just a narrative game here. Well, let's listen to what he has to say. Pierre Corey was the quote the quote was from. He was uh, doing good work. I'll tell you what I've learned in these last three years. I'm completely estranged from my profession and in some ways even society. It's, it's literally a society that's been corrupted by forces and nobody realizes. We sit in these little bubbles, we read our New York Times, and we think everything's going as, as according to plan. You know, we, we even have uh, my colleague over there who says that we saved a million lives with these vaccines. That is utter and complete nonsense. Nonsense. These vaccines saved no one. Across the world, the most highly vaccinated countries had the worst case fatality rates. There's no demonstrable impact of these vaccines on death. Exactly. Right? Go ahead. Somebody demonstrate for me the proof, not the assumption that because we know this will do this, therefore this is the number we compute. That's what they do. It, the evidence is undeniably clear if you do if you actually look at the data, like he just said, the overlap, it's clear they suffered more anywhere they had the high vaccination rate. Here's Texas Lindsay pointing out a real world example. Now, this is one. I, I mean, really, if you want to have nightmares, venture into the Vayer system and really read through these reports. It's horrifying. But we've shown you at least two of these already in the past, one of which was from the original trial, by the way. But she points out another report, a five-month-old baby boy's mother got her second dose of the Pfizer injection. Within 24 hours of breastfeeding her son, he broke out in a rash, became inconsolable, and died the following day. Now, in any other circumstance pre-COVID mania, this would have been the obvious conclusion, not proven, but that, yes, okay, so what happened? What was the difference? Okay, he took this injection and died a day later. Now, yes, we can consider other factors, but that in any investigatory practice, any researcher, any investigator, that is the obvious starting point. That's not what's happening. Suspected exposure to mRNA via breast milk diagnosed with blood clots. Now, in the report, that, you know, there, there's discussions that, you know, this could be likely, but when you get this report in the real world or you get this brought up in a conversation on Twitter, well, you can read the comments for yourself. You're a conspiracy theorist. For asking a question? No, they, I mean, the, these people are assuming, or, you know, conspiracy assumers, right? That's how that works. You are, you are assuming into this, we are pointing out an obvious reality, a potential reality, which is what she's doing here too. You, you see, you point out for me where she says, this is what caused it. By the way, I interviewed Texas Lindsay, if you want to check that out. It was a good conversation. Makes me sad. That this is still happening, even now, with all the evidence we have. Answers for Sean. This is another sad one. Received my official denial today. So, in a situation like this, where something like this happens immediately, nothing else is seen as a problem. You go to try to get something from that. God forbid. Because your, your child just died. Here's the response. Thank you for placing a claim with the vaccine injury support program upon review of your claim. And we've talked about Sean's account before. 
Upon review of your claim, we regret to inform you that it has been declined based on the following reasons. The Medical Review Board evaluated your case, evaluating your case to determine that there is no association between the vaccination received and your son's passing. This decision is outlined in the attached appendix, which was provided to us by the Board of Physicians who evaluated your claim. And I think he does link down here, but of course they they redacted the people that were involved with the decision. It just makes me sad. You know, it, the, the reality, there seems to, there's a lot of examples that this was at least on the table. I, I'm not there. I can't prove this. But the fact that it's dismissed when it's obvious this is a clear factor, it just, you know, it makes me sad. Here's, an, here's a real world example. A South African singer who's performing on stage has a seizure, collapses and dies on stage while performing. Now, sure, could it have happened before? Has it happened before? Yes. But usually that's when you go, oh, we find out he had this crazy heart problem that we didn't catch in time. That's not what we're talking about here. We're having people that die and we don't know what happened. And they go, yeah, people had heart attacks before. That's not what we're talking about here, though, is it? We're talking about a young, healthy individual on the, in, on, you know, again, prior to, prior to COVID, how many people collapsing on live broadcast did we see? Barely any ever. Maybe one that we can remember. Now think about now. Now, it's not because they're focusing on it. That's what they say about us. These are corporate media platforms that are now trying to avoid that at all costs and still catching it regularly or collapsing on stage while performing, while playing, while doing all sorts of things. Here's another example of that, and it is sad. My point is not to say that I know for sure it's because of the injection. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it's overwhelmingly obvious we are so far above the mathematical expected amount of any year previous, I've done, I say mathematically because I've done it mathematically. I've broken down the studies. I've broken down the expected amounts. We are exponentially going past that. We're past it now just for this year. We, are, we went way past the amount before. And I'm, and I'm talking just professional athletes and just collapsing. That's it. I'm not even including all the children, all the other things we've talked about, all the pilots, all the doctors. It's amazingly obvious and it's horrifying. Collapses. Back up. Right now, you know, it is possible that anything, something else could have happened or any one of these situations, as I always say, of course, that is possible. But nobody wants to ask why we have this overwhelming amount of cardiac myocarditis collapses, all of this different stuff. And by the way, since I say that now, let's jump to this point right away. Here is a new report. Cardiac testing at Washington event found 53% myocarditis rate. 53%. This is press wire. And this is coming. This is February 26, 2023. I mean, I don't even, I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. And yet we could pretend like that's not a, a what exactly what we think is happening. Of course, they're going to go, well, COVID-19. Well, there's a lot of peer-reviewed science that says that's at very least questionable. But you don't find that on the other side, right? So we all admit that this, this injection is capable of causing myocarditis. We all have to, nobody can deny that statement. I didn't say how much, it's capable. We all know that. On the other side of it, you've got compute disputing studies and the peer-reviewed studies mostly say that they doesn't cause it. Then you've got some other versions that say, yes, it can. Now, I've been pretty clear about what is the highest, high-level, random-controlled type study that we've done, peer-reviewed, and that's the one that says definitively it's just not, it's not happening. So at the very least, it's disputed. So it's obvious that this is a 
one-sided problem, even when it comes to the scientific findings. And they say, we had the opportunity, uh, uh, where was it? It says, I was surprised after they screened everybody to find that over half of those tested has positive markers for myocarditis. Two of these were active duty U.S. military pilots. My God. This is where we are. And they're, this is running from this re the reality. Now, all that, as we're talking about all of this, Dr. Fauci's aide just collapsed next to him at a D.C. dinner. This happened on March 13th. But totally nothing to see here. Just, just He's collapsed. You know, yeah, that happens. People do collapse. But it's just almost impossible. Like, do you really think that this, the fact that this is happening next to Fauci, it just shows you how ubiquitous this has become. Now, let's talk about the, the actual cover-up here and how this is done in a lot of different ways. Here's uh, Ron and Jackson, po Jackson post this as he's speaking with Fox News. He's saying FDA employees were outraged at how unsafe it was to expedite approving the, co or rather, you know, the emergency authorize of the injection. But because of pressure from the White House, it was done anyway. And we know this, but it's just interesting to hear how verbalized this is becoming, how on the surface this has gotten, where they know that they, again, think about, the Sasha Latipova interview that Taylor had and the reality of how this is not what it looks like, guys. It's undeniably clear. The only way this even makes sense with the FDA and groups doing, like, having people that voted protest, literally resign in protest because they don't understand how it's happening, it exposes that this is not really about the FDA. This is a DOD operation. This is a medical countermeasure. Congressman Ronnie Jackson is investigating this uh, on the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic, and he joins us now. Congressman, doctor, thanks for joining us. I know you've had a lot of work in this. Explain to us what we're seeing here. Well, thanks, Joey. Well, the, the biggest thing here is that the Republicans have the majority now. We do have the, the Select Committee on Coronavirus that we started. We're starting to get access to a lot of emails we didn't have. We have whistleblowers and witnesses that are coming forward. And one of the things that we're discovering here is the vaccine approval process in the Biden administration may have been driven for political reasons, not for safety reasons. What we see is that the, the uh, Pfizer... Now, I, 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 my opinion is he's talking about the emergency authorization, but it's hard to know now because, yes, they legally speaking have on paper approved both of both both the Moderna and Pfizer versions, but they've never been used. So just to be clear, I don't I believe he's talking about the original process, but either way, it's the same point had requested a uh, an approval process for full approval of their vaccine because it, r r remember up until that point it was being used kind of in experimental status uh, under emergency use authorization they wanted full approval they applied for that in may of 2021 this is an approval process that normally takes 10 to 12 months in july july 16 of 2021 the fda came back and said we will give you an approval we will start the approval process and we will expedite it so that they could do it potentially in six months which is yeah so yeah i take that back i guess i'm wrong wait what, what it's, it's the way i heard the, the way he describes it i feel like felt like he was talking about the process that led up to that but hearing it again i'm de you're it's definitely talking about the actual and again you know i take issue with full approval there's no such thing as full approval but whatever but so that's kind of why i felt like the game was being played there but regardless what we're talking about is the push by politics to drive this action when there's no justification to do so
is the shortest period possible, right? And so they had a stated approval date of January of 2022. Well, privately, we see these emails where they're saying they want it approved by September of 2021, which was way faster, four months faster than the expedited approval process and eight months faster than the standard process. Well, there were people like Dr. Gruber, who, like you said, was the director of the vaccine uh, the, the vaccine research and and that, that program that was approved, yeah. that was responsible for approving it. She was running that program. She and other members of the FDA w- were were up in arms, and we see all these emails where they're bantering back and forth, and they're saying, "Hey, this is not safe. Remember, this is a vaccine that was uh, being used under brand new technology. We had tons of data coming in, tons and tons of data. We had a lot of reports of vaccine related injury and side effects that were coming in. So this was a behemoth of a request, anyways, so to look at all this if, information. If if it's true that this was Sped up and kind of it kind of alludes to that and saying we can't do it we can't speed it up anymore. Which God, I hate corporate media. Like whether it was intentional or not. What do you mean if it was true that it was sped up? We are in 2023. We have verifiable documents, both from the companies themselves, the government, and it's been openly discussed. And this clown will stand there and say if it's true that it was speed up, you mean Operation Warp Speed? <laughs> God. I just, I'm just tired of it. means it was sped up at some point. Who sped it up? Well, the, the Biden administration sped it up. People from or, 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 or the government, you mean? You mean like the Operation Warp Speed that was outlined by Trump and his administration that was then handed off to Biden? Partisan hackery. Nonetheless, important points to understand that it was rushed, but I just, I, it's important to realize that these people will play their team game no matter what. The Lots EOP yeah. were pushing, the people from the EOP were pushing people at the FDA. Dr. Gruber actually resigned in protest because she said, this is not, this is not how this process is. is supposed to right. work. Now hear that, guys. Multiple people in different, multiple processes, in fact, but this that one, we have two of them that resigned at the same time because they said, this is not the way it's supposed to go. Listen to them. They're not arguing about the decision. They're going, this is broken. This process is being bastardized. And they were because it's not the reality. Like we just need to pay attention because all we end up with is some kind of political discussion point about why this is why. Here's how you should view what happened, right? Don't hear what they're saying. Here's how you explain it in a partisan way. No, they were going, guys, I'm resigning. Pay attention. This is not working. They're lying to you. And we all just went right back to it. We cannot review all this information in this short period of time. It's unsafe. And Joey, they had set the date for January of 2022. Mind you, the process didn't even start until July 16 of 2021. And after Dr. Gruber left, you know when they approved it? They approved it in August 23rd of 2021, Mm. five weeks after it started, five weeks after the process. It was approved in five weeks. It was supposed to take you know, initially 10 to 12 months and then six months with the expedited process. Here's the kicker. Why did they do that? Because they had been talking for some period of time about vaccine mandates. The Biden administration knew that they were going to have a real problem trying to push vaccine mandates using a vaccine yeah. that was being administered under emergency use authorization. They'd already been talking about the military, about, uh, you know, healthcare workers. And so that's what they did. The day after it was approved on the August the 24th, DOD secretary mandated it for all members of the military and CMS followed right after that. And that's the lie, right? They, they knew that they needed to make it appear that it had to be approved. And it, well, look, the military's acting, so it must be okay, right? And they lied to you. Now, at what level people knew that lie is we can discuss, because it does seem that there was, you know, it may, may have been played on people in the military themselves, but I don't, I don't, I think that they were in no. Ultimately, they lied about what was approved or rather what was going to be used 
and said, wait, it's approved. So we can force you, <laughs> which, by the way, is also not actually true, in my opinion. But then they gave the emergency authorized version. This was an absolute undeniable crime. And that's why there is, in fact, lawsuits happening right now. But this is a broken system, so I doubt it's going to have any accountability. But the reality is they did this. And this is not just one side of the paradigm here, guys. I mean, just so tired of the framing like that. And it's the only way they can keep this broken ship moving forward. Truth is that all of them did this. And but the, the reality is that this was a absolutely broken criminal enterprise. Here and just and it's not just the United States, understand. Here's Australian Dr. Melissa McCann presenting her findings at the Freedom of Information from her information request uh, from the TGA. And she's pointing out how they lied, how they willfully misrepresented the situation. This is how all of them operate. requested these documents under freedom of information because I wanted clarity on the TGA assessment of the reports of deaths. I was confused that the safety reports say 900 plus cause, cases of death, but only 14 confirmed causal. And when I discussed this with other medical colleagues, um, they all draw the conclusion that all the other deaths have been reviewed and are not causal, but the language is misleading. The TGA implies this, but does not explicitly state this. So I was requesting the actual TGA assessments of these reports of death. And these documents are fatal adverse events team meetings. The names are redacted, but there are multiple people present at these meetings. And the opinion of this TGA team in some of these cases, including in young children, was causal. Or in other words, that the vaccine is the likely the cause for the death. And when I asked the TGA Freedom of Information team why these docu documents were not published to the public disclosure log, I was advised the decision maker determined that disclosure of the documents could undermine public confidence. Yes, yes, yes. That's exactly what they told her. Now, ask yourself how it's possible that that release of information via Freedom of Information Act does not end up on the corporate news because they're covering it up. They literally said, and we're hearing this in real time today with all these hearings and so on, that this is about censoring the truth because you can't handle it. Or covering up their crimes, right? The argument they want to sell you after they're caught is, well, we just thought, you know, we were just trying to do what was right because we didn't think that we would undermine hesitancy. Well, if we, if we undermine vaccine or if we create vaccine hesitancy, then people won't take it. More people will die. So we rationalize lying to you. But I don't even buy that. Right. I mean, because the old, the real point here is that they knew in their own study that these deaths were caused by vaccines. And they hid that from you because that might stop you from taking a jab that might kill you. <laughs> well, yeah. It's wild. Public confidence. <laughs> and reduce the willingness of the public to report adverse events to the TGA. This is outrageous. Doctors. <laughs> Doctors and the public have relied on the fact that out of millions of vaccines, only 14 deaths. And this appears to be completely misleading and deliberately non-transparent to the public. So the, the crux of the point is that that 
argument that was verifiably false was what was used by the media and the very government that knew they were lying to push the idea that it was safe. Like, really let that sink in, guys. Like, there's that is a that's proof that they were knowingly pushing a deadly thing for whatever reasoning they made up in their minds and then lying about it to get you to take that thing and then attacking you for trying to expose it because, well, you're going to create vaccine hesitancy. Well, you're damn right I am because this thing's hurting people. Vigilant Fox points out something that we've been talking about for a long time. Reanalysis of the Pfizer-Moderna trial found three to five times the odds of harm over benefit. Right? I'm actually going to skip the video just because I want to try to get done before three hours here. But the point is, this same discussion we've already had, Joseph Freeman, this is the, this is the, the, the discussion of the phase three trial from Pfizer that was just simply reevaluated. 36% more serious adverse events from Pfizer compared to placebo. The increase, the danger, right? The risk of one in 10,000, or rather, uh, I think, I don't know, I thought that was different. In any case, they, j- basically showing you the risk is way, 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 way more serious than I want you to know, and far more serious enough to pull the whole thing. Says so more people suffered serious harms from the vaccine than the number of people who actually got protection against hospitalization. And I argue that none of them truly did, to be quite honest. And we really understand the breadth of this danger. But this is an important one. The German health minister, Karl Lauterbach, has now admitted on a live broadcast, I'll show you the actual video, that COVID injections do, in fact, cause serious injury in one in 10,000 doses. But I agree with Steve Kirsch. The actual rate for that is much higher. We're using these numbers that were squeezed out of their lies like from the phase three trial but how do we know that that's even completely accurate but the actual rate he says is is more about 100 times more than that in, in his opinion closer to one in 100 doses for death he says it's one in a thousand that's his opinion and i i don't i wouldn't challenge that i think these things are super dangerous the point is the aussie 17 shares this is the health minister admitting this now look one in ten thousand is catastrophically dangerous that is so much worse than anything else we've even entertained Remember, they were talking one in a million. Here is the uh, the clip. I think I actually have the clip. Yeah, but I, I, I it's in German, so. Schicksale sind absolut bestürzend und jedes wird einiges permanent sein, von daher ist das schwierig. Warum haben Sie, Herr Lauterbach, im Sommer 2021 noch behauptet, dass die Impfung nebenwirkungsfrei sei? Naja, das war eine Übertreibung, also die ich da einmal in einem missglückten Tweet gemacht habe. Aber es war ja nicht grundsätzlich meine Haltung. So he just admitted lying in a tweet, essentially, exaggerating in a tweet. Eins zu zehntausend, das ist die Häufigkeit. Vaccinations outweigh, it says, but one in tenthousand. Von schweren Nebenwirkungen. Jetzt stehen die ersten Klagen an, gegen BioNTech, auch gegen andere Impfstoffhersteller. Was glauben Sie, wie die ausgehen? Yeah, I mean, the crux of the point's right there. And look, I will show you this, so you guys can watch it for yourselves. Here is the actual video. And you can see it. It's it's right there. And this is translated from YouTube. Based on the data from Paul Ehrlich Institute or the European Approval Authority, one in 10,000 vaccinations. It's not that so common. It, translations kind of screw, of course. Then YouTube it glitches out because they're doing so well, you know, or we're in particular specifically being focused on. But in any case, Hey, look, geez, YouTube just sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> just always problems constantly. Either way, the reality is, guys, he's admitting to a number that's not supposed to be discussed. This is falling apart in real time. And don't forget what we just talked about, that the myocarditis rate in this event, 53% of people that checked. 
Here is another important post from Vaccine Mole. Italian media has now reported exactly what we should know by now because the facts are clear, which is that people that recover and have natural immunity who then get this dangerous injection, which, by the way, I really would almost even argue that it's just because this dangerous is dangerous or danger. This injection is dangerous for anybody who takes it. Anybody. So if you test any grouping and compare it outcome after that, it's going to be bad because the injections are bad. I mean, I just think that needs to be acknowledged. But either way, I do think there is a mechanism through which people who have natural immunity end up having a exponentially a more increased problem because of the, the factors we've already discussed. There's been multiple peer-reviewed science uh, studies that have found this two years ago. Vaccinated, it, it, the, the translation is funny, but they end up in the hospital after vaccination in greater numbers. Here's the actual report. The percentage of people cured of COVID-19, and you can see it's spelled funny, it's translation, who need hospitalization following an, in, an infection is high. The, the percentage of people er, cured of covid who need hospitalization following a SARS-CoV-2 infection is higher among those who have received the injection. The same data is found for both intensive care, hospitalization, and death. There's just no, there's just no misunderstanding this. The Italian, me, Italian media is publicly announcing that the reality, because the science is there. You've already seen the studies from me. They're just now admitting this, that people who take the injection after having natural immunity, are in every category more represented in in hospital in hospitalization and death. Sure, you could pretend there's something else in here, but you can't ignore it. That's what they're doing. Here's another example. Just another J- a Japanese report has now, in, at least from Japanese perspective, proven the first death. They say they say linked, but this is what they're talking about. When you read the article, they're saying from the data obtained. No abnormalities were found that could have caused the death other than the vaccine. All things considered, the direct causal link between the vaccination and the death cannot be denied. I mean, we're at a point here where this is just increasingly becoming aware, discussed, acknowledged. You know, accountability is all I want to see at this point. I think it's, it's become very clear how bad this is. West Australia government finally releases its 2021 COVID vaccine safety data. Gee, I wonder why. Do I even explain the graph you're looking at? I mean, after the injection, it exploded. Before that, it was minimal. Injection, explosion. Before that, nothing. You mean during that time frame when COVID was rampantly spreading with no vaccination? Oh my God. And then boom, vaccination. And it never went away. You want you Try, try to make sense of that without understanding why that this thing is causing the problem or making something that they call the problem. 24 times the rate of normal adverse events. Women disproportionately affected, 64% of them. 57% of the events treated in hospital. Working age people hit hardest. Big jump in myocarditis, just like we saw elsewhere, but totally not connected to the thing that causes myocarditis. Fake news. Oh, but if you listen to the Herald Sun, it's all fake news. All you needed was a good night's sleep, Right? No joke. Getting a good night's sleep may be the key to boosting the effectiveness of the injection. Got it. So it was your fault it wasn't working. You didn't sleep well, you dummy. If you had slept well, the vaccine's safe and effective, of course. Now, obviously, I'm being facetious, but think about how ridiculous this is. Why would we need to boost the effectiveness of something that's already effective? Then aren't they the ones repeatedly, incessantly saying that it's effective? But you can boost the effectiveness, which implies it needs to be more effective. But also realize... What this really means is your body 
your immune system. Sleeping well is a key part of your immune system functioning properly. So all they're doing is going, do the things we always have known, increase your health, and we'll pretend the vaccine's working. <laughs> That's and, and really, when you take the injections, it's hurting your body all the, in all these ways anyway. So this is just, it's just such an obvious game. And to really feel sick about the whole thing, which is not really what I'm trying to achieve here, but it may, this is sad. This is yesterday. After everything we've talked about this entire time, after all the proven, the peer-reviewed science, the real-world reality, the admission of what they later, moments ago, said was fake. Yesterday, the FDA has authorized, emergency authorized. So first, ask yourself how it's even legally possible that we are still operating under emergency authorization with everything they've changed. That's because they've broken the thing, and they've now, we, we did a report on this. They get, now they're just going forward forever using emergency authorization, because that makes sense, right? Or that we have approved alternatives, which they say we do. Or we have other treatments, which they say we do. All of those are supposed to remove the possibility for this to be authorized in an emergency. But it doesn't matter. That's just your future. This is the new normal. The FDA authorizes a bivalent. So the worst of all of them, the one that has the highest side effects, the the shortest lasting alleged efficacy. Everything about this thing is more dangerous. And even then, you're giving them multiple things causing multiple antibodies. For none of which is actually supposed to be currently in front of us, according to their narrative. But that's the one the FDA has authorized for six-month-old infants to four years old. Because clearly they're in danger. Well, no. They're, they're, they're barely even affected, if at all, by this thing. This less than the flu for everybody. And they have the highest possible danger in regard to how this can affect them, in regard to all things. But, but go ahead emergency authorize it for them, arguing they're in an emergency for something they're not in danger from, giving them something that's going to create the emergency. Because, you know, science. Guys. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really at a loss today about how this can even still be happening with, with, what about all the Republican congressmen? What about all the people out there that are aware, that are on your side, so we're told, yelling about this and pushing that? This is still happening. You realize this is not just one side of the paradigm. This was also happening under Trump's administration. I guess we can all pray and hope that voting in a Republican will make it be different. And then when it's not different, what happens then? Maybe we'll wait four more years and vote again for that savior. Damn it. Well, let's finish with what I think is the most alarming part of all of this. The direction into... Oh, I forgot I have this first. We want to play this first clip, which does open up this door. The point, though, is about the, 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 the situation in which the circumstances that are already in place through those circumstances, it appears that they already have the I, what's the word I'm looking for legislation in place that does what that is actually that applies to argue that you can be patented. That your body, if altered in certain ways, by the very definition of their terms, can be patented. And then what does that mean going forward in a technocratically controlled world? Well, first, let's listen to Thomas Massey discussing the weaponization of the CDC, natural immunity, and the this is you know overlaps with the Twitter file stuff, but that's not really what this is about. I mean, it's what they're talking about, but for me, it's about the conversation of how they are, and you didn't need the Twitter screenshots to prove this. We already knew this. How they are tell, hiding the truth from you because you're not smart enough to understand it. At least how they pretend they're dealing with this. 
Yields yields back. Gentleman from Kentucky, Mr. Massey, is recognized for five minutes. I want to talk about the weaponization of the CDC against the American people, and this overlaps with one of the Twitter files, number 13 by my count, actually by Alex Berenson, not one of our two witnesses, but I would like your comment on it. A week before Christmas 2020, the vaccines came out. The FDA curated the Pfizer trial results, and then the CDC curated the FDA's opinion. The CDC said in their MMWR, which is never peer-reviewed, they're very proud that it's not peer-reviewed. Hear that? That's important. Like, that's something I hadn't even considered, and he's completely right. They treat it like science. It's not science. They said that the vaccine was 92% efficacious for people who had already had COVID. The Pfizer trial data said no such thing. In fact, it, there was no support for that claim. So I called. And, and again, we just talked about it, right? That we now know, this is on 3923. We now know, according to, by the way, we knew with peer reviewed science, we already showed you, but now the Italian media has come out and admitted that they knew that too, right? It's, it's not just that it doesn't, it's questionable, it's that it's dangerous, that you're actually increasing their death and hospitalization by pushing that idea. Called up the head of the CDC, recorded the conversation, the head in Washington, D.C. She said she'd get the top scientists on the line. There was a snowstorm that day, so I was impressed. She got this top scientist on the line. They said I was Eagle Eye Massey. They couldn't believe how that statement had made it into their report. Do you hear that? It's amazing this can be openly discussed in a congressional setting, but not CNN or not Fox News. Nobody, I can tell, made that clear, that they knew or rather, or rather admitted that, they, you know, oh, well, look at that. How did we accidentally get that blatant lie in there? Whoops. I must have slipped while I was tying my shoes. Right? I mean, come on. That's not an accident, right? You don't go through this vetted process and put the blatantly false statement that at some point that got put in there. Why would it have gotten put in there if there was never a place where that made sense? It's a lie. And all they do is go, oh, yeah, look at you. Good for you. You caught things we didn't see. You caught them in a lie is what happened. And no one talks about that. That shows you that they're willfully putting out false information for whatever reason. And that I was absolutely correct. There was no support for it. So uh, I said, how are you going to fix it? You're going to redact it? You're going to change it? What are you going to do? They said, we'll do all of that. I said, great. A month later, it was still on their website. I made some more phone calls. And in that month time, how many people suffered or got hurt because of their lie? Guess that doesn't matter. Brought in a, an old hand, an old fixer, Dr. Actually, Shoot. sorry to keep stopping it, but think about the context of the violence words discussion, right? So apparently we're not allowed to say things about financial institutions or discuss real world events because we may hurt people, but they come out and blatantly, knowingly lie, which kills people, but that's okay. <laughs> Such hypocrites. Chat. These are her notes with, uh, of her phone call with me about natural immunity. In January, when I called him out on it again, these are the entirety of her notes that were obtained uh, in Mafoya from somebody, a third party. Um, I took all of my recordings, released them to Cheryl Atkinson. She, she blew the whistle on this. People, a lot of people have forgotten about it. Uh, here's, here's why I find it interesting, and I'm going to tie it into the Twitter files. And by the way, I told them I was not anti-vax. I said the problem with your story is there's a misallocation of vaccines, which are not available for all the old people in Kentucky. Which- see, and he still has to pull, toe this line, even Massey, the argument that it was more about them taking vaccines from people who needed them. <laughs> I, I feel like he knows better than that. You got young people in Kentucky taking them because you're telling them on the website, even if you've had COVID, go get it. So that was my complaint. Um, on May 20 or May 10th, 2021, 
Todd O'Boyle, this name will come up in a Twitter file later. He is the top lobbyist in Twitter's Washington office who was also his Twitter's point of contact in the White House. He encouraged the CDC to enroll in the uh, partner support program. Oh, okay. The CDC is now a partner with Twitter because they're in the partner support program. They, he said, in the future, that's the best way to get a spreadsheet like this reviewed. Now, this is an email from uh, between Todd O'Boyle and, uh, and the folks at CDC. By the way, let me, let me uh, talk to this, too. This is, these are more of my conversations with the CDC, completely redacted the subject thereof. Uh, next, next one, please. I also found as a result of the FOIA, CDC tracks every tweet that a congressman puts out. Did you hear that? Why in the world does the CDC track what congressmen are tweeting on Twitter? Not just that relates to COVID, you understand. Any congressman that puts a tweet out, they're tracking it. The CDC, Center for Disease Control and Prevention, we like to leave that part out because it doesn't they don't care about that part apparently. I mean, ask yourself how that's even possible because it's just like finding out that the uh, the post office has armed enforcement agents like these things don't make sense until you realize that it's about an out of control government apparatus like that's crazy to me and these are sitting members of congress like doesn't that concern anybody this is very very mccarthyist you know like the way this you know in the classic concept of mccarthyism like the idea that you're like tracking with listing people that say certain things i mean that's we already kind of got there with this whole right left paradigm thing It's, it's wild to me not just Republican, but Democrat. They keep a spreadsheet. They make it every week. Uh, that is this so crazy. The FOIA for me because I'm in their spreadsheet that they track. Why is this interesting? Okay, so they're tracking congressmen's tweets. That's an, at CDC. Itself, that's they're enrolled in the partner support uh, portal at uh, at Twitter. And then I found this is why um, I found Alex Berenson's report very interesting because uh, what he found out is that Scott Gottlieb worked hard and and Twitter complied, it looks like, to censor a tweet from a doctor about natural immunity. Guess what? On the same day that that doctor's tweet was censored, so were my tweets. Like, what's funny about this is, you know, this is important to talk about, but like in the the overlap with Berenson and the Twitter files, like, was anybody even remotely confused about this before that? Like, are we, is anybody even debating that this was exactly what was happening? Like, it just blows my mind that we pretend like that somehow opened a door to this. Now, again, I think that there is information in there that's relevant and important. But I don't know why we pretend a screenshot is enough to imply that that's exactly what it is. It's just it's blatantly obvious to me. But again, it's important because, yes, they were colluding to censor doctors about things we now know are true. It's the same point. But however, the, whatever the context, that's still important on natural immunity. Why is this important? What is, what is consequential about the date? This is three days after the military vaccine mandate came out and a week before the federal vaccine mandates came out. This truth was toxic to, to a narrative that Pfizer was spreading, that Joe Biden wanted out there so that he could force the vaccine on everybody, whether you had natural immunity or not. Now, I actually... You guys might not agree with me on this. I don't think the press gets special privileges on the First Amendment. I think I don't think Why in the world does. would that even make sense? I think every American, by virtue of being an American, 
has the right to free speech enshrined in the Constitution. So I'm not so much worried that they I mean, that's just on a quick note, like that's again, it shows you the 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 power, the shift in power. Like why the why would the press or any American get different privileges? It's the Constitution. It's not like that. That shows you how they bastardize this thing entirely. Like the press wants to see themselves as a special class of people. They're not. The reality being, per the Constitution, the Supreme Court, you are all press if you want to be. Like they just and and the best part about all of this whole thing, rightly, and it's been a very few in this terrible situation we've been in, is is how quickly they've lost control of that. How these people, like the Brian Stelters of the world, just completely got exposed for the childish liars that they really are. There's a lot of them still in their positions. Rachel Maddow's and Lemons and and on you know a plenty Tucker's in my opinion. All these people out there that are can, you can prove have played this game and are willfully kind of downplaying or overplaying certain things for politics. It's, it's just, it's, it is a, it is everywhere constant. And I think that's exactly part of this game personally. They uh, censored a, a congressman, but they disabled all the comments from my constituents. Those are the voices they squelched. And my beef is not with Twitter. Oh, see, I realized <laughs> I, I, I knew I lost my point. Just the overall point being that they don't have any right to, to more free speech than you or, or, you know, absolute free speech where you get limited free speech like that's just it's absurd that they would even play that game sorry i didn't mean to stop it again but i i realized i trailed off and forgot my point but my beef is with the cdc and these federal agencies and i encourage you all if you can to find more about this and uh do you have any either of you have any comments on this topic this is the yeah, uh, this part support gentleman's time expired but the gentleman may, may uh, uh, still had may three respond. seconds the witnesses may respond <laughs> just quickly we, we found just yesterday a tweet from um, the, the Virality Project at Stanford, which was partnered with a, new, a number of government agencies on Twitter, where they talked explicitly about um, censoring stories of true vaccine side effects um, and other true stories that they felt uh, encouraged hesitancy. So we're talking about public stuff. Now, yes, this was divulged in the conversation of Twitter files, but this was not secret and even if there were even when he does get into talks about emails and so on i just again just ask yourself is this something that we're disputing like long before COVID 19 it was very clear that they tried to hide things like they tried to argue that we wouldn't understand because it was you know the cia you need to do this or do this because we don't understand what they fight for when it comes to fighting for freedom it's the same game played elsewhere that's all i'm trying to say with the con the way that they try to make this about like how the twitter files are somehow some shifting moment they certainly could have been if they would have done this like a WikiLeaks scenario, but they didn't. Now, the important... Since you're true. Yeah, so they used the word true three times uh, in this email. And what's, what's notable about this is that it reflects the fundamental misunderstanding of this whole disinformation conference of true vaccine side of herd, which was partnered with a, new, a number of government tweet from... Yeah, um, so it's weird. He says tweet from, which that's a public, right? But then the second thing he says is email. So maybe he misspoke and said tweet first. In any case, the point is the same, that it was obviously a reality. And I do say obviously before this. In this email, and what's what's notable about this is that it reflects the fundamental misunderstanding of this whole disinformation complex, anti-disinformation complex. They believe that ordinary people can't handle uh, difficult truths. This so is, they this think that they need minders to separate out things that are controversial or difficult um for them and that's again that's totally contrary to what america is all about i think i'll just briefly add this is very disturbing because what they're doing when they're putting these labels on there 
is they're actually also dis- trying to discredit you. So it's right. not just uh, it's a form of censorship, but it's also a, a disinformation campaign using the truth. And I think what Matt says is really important to understand. I mean, we went from you go from a, a situation where we were fighting ISIS recruiting. And then it was Russian disinformation. And now or the narrative was anyway. Now they're in a situation where they're wanting to censor true information, accurate facts, because they're worried that people might behave in ways that they don't want them to. That involves mind reading at a level that is grossly inappropriate. I mean, I, I worry even about making this defense, because let's remember, the First Amendment protects our right to be wrong. Yes. It protects our right to lie. I mean, it's bizarre to me that it's nice to hear somebody say that in this kind of I've never heard that before this before he say him saying that, like, you know, I think that. But I just I'm so glad to hear that publicly put out there because most people don't even think that far. That's the truth. We would need to make a defense of the First Amendment and remind people that we have a right to be and being wrong, as Matt was explaining, is a big part of being a human being and having a democracy. So this is disturbing and chilling. And you're absolutely right to be outraged by it. There needs to be a full Truth and reconciliation. Yeah, but the problem is that these people don't care about the truth. So you're going to put the power in the hands of the people that are already lying to you. You know, this is why I have a problem with certain, like, you know, you got people like this, like in the Twitter files, right? Like, well, let's just assume that they're doing what they think is right, which is certainly possible. We're fighting ISIS and our democracy. And it's like, okay, there's a whole lot of false stand, like tenets of your understanding of the world that are just complete. Like, if we don't understand by now that ISIS is not what we think, like, if you have, if you, People that can watch the three-part Al-Qaeda documentary from James Corbett and go through the verifiable, on-the-record information that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt this this an entity that was created, we're li- that we don't understand how the world works. You think we live in a democracy? Really? Yeah, I'm not even trying to make fun. Like, I, you know, the guy seems like an honest person. I mean, I, it's hard to it's hard to suss that out. But at the end of the day. Those things matter when you're trying to sift through this high-level kind of information, right? So just think about that when it comes to things like the Twitter files and so on. But his point is still the same, and I agree with his point, right? Overall, they think you can't handle this. And the best, the most important point, I thought, was that they are using things that they know and are publicly acknowledging behind the scenes are true, and they claim they want to hide it because it's too dangerous. But then they use that thing they know is true and try to attack you with it by claiming it's false. So they don't just censor you, but they then label you as a misinformer, even though they know you're telling the truth. Like, think about how grossly... Just, I mean, a thousand words you could put in right there. Criminal, incompetent, malfeasant. I mean, everything. They are doing... They are putting people that they argue... They argue their objective is to keep safe, to represent. They are not only just censoring them, but they're then framing them. They're framing them. That's what that is. Now, think about all the stuff that's happened because of things like that. All the attacks, all of the other censorship from different platforms, all of the personal, physical, and online type of manipulation from people, trolls, and so on. It's bullying. I mean, my God. They don't care. They really don't care. Now, this is where this goes into the patenting part of this all. Now, we've seen the, what they just went over was their gaslighting to get everybody in this COVID-19 realm. That's why I think that was important because it's very clear that they were not just gaslighting, but I mean, like they, they, they were, that's the main point of it, that they were telling people they were wrong when they were right. And then labeling people that they knew were telling the truth that was going to save lives as the people that were killing people. Whole violence is words are violence, the whole thing. Now they drove us into a situation where people took this thing, even though they weren't sure about it. Arguably, if we trust the numbers over 80% of people got at least one. So what does that mean? 
So we know we've talked about the mod RNA conversation, right? That's what this is. It's not mRNA. It's modified RNA, according to all of their original documents right up until this point. So I've always thought it was kind of strange they went with mRNA. I think for the first time I'm seeing why I truly believe that was done. Because that's a big difference, you understand. That's not a casual oversight. Mod RNA and mRNA are very different things. But in everywhere you look, I mean, even when we talk about it, we say mRNA, right? But it's not. It's all mod RNA, which is a genetically engineered, modified concept. That's the crux of this point. Now, on top of that, let's see if I can grab this real quick. Here we go. Perfect. On top of that, we've talked about many different discussions. This is one of the most important of reverse transcription, right? Whether it's, you know, some, in, in some way, altering your genetic makeup. So if that happens, or rather when that happens, and now you've got modified patented identities, or even if that's not patented, the point is that if you end up being something new because of this process that is now genetically engineered, by definition, by legal standing of today, they can actually patent you because that includes living things, but it's never been done before with a human. That doesn't mean it can't be. That's what I think is so incredibly unnerving about this is legally speaking, it seems they could do it right now. Like in a court of law and a judge was truly trying to be objective with the law as it stands, I don't see a way they can't do that. If they can prove, which by the way, you see that would undermine their narrative right now. So I don't think it'll happen just yet, but prove that yes, it did alter your DNA. And yes, it was modified. When that time comes, I'm really concerned about what will happen. You know, Dr. Akkad Saeed, who we've talked about before, wrote this article. Who owns who? Percy versus Goliath is here. And this is a, a classic case about Monsanto, which, of course, seems so incredibly... Per- the overlap is undeniable. Modified organisms, how it can breeze into your farm and suddenly now they own your farm. How does that work out? I didn't do that. Well, guess what? These judges have already ruled throughout history that if that happens, since they patented this living organism, that now they own your organism because it doesn't matter how it got there. That's their property. Two completely unrelated stories crossed his path this week, it says, and this is written on uh, September 1st, 2022. I am going to join them for you. Before I do this, I need to warn you in advance. If you read this, you will not be able to unread it. So if you want a comfy, quiet life in blue pill pharma utopia, please hit the back button now. For the rest of you who wish to pass through the one-way door, remember this guy? No, this is obviously Christopher Walken, but this is a movie. He says, no, I don't mean Christopher Walken. I mean the person he represents in the film, Percy vs. Goliath. Percy Schmeiser. It's a really important film legal case, and I agree. For those, and we, now we actually talked about Food, Inc. and the documentary and the conversation of the Terminator seeds and all of this. And, you know, what's happened since then? Right? I mean, think about that. How, what a big deal that was. Now just, we just fell back into it. Just like what's going to happen with Ohio, it seems. We, we get another dangly cat toy and we all bat at it and we jump in the new direction and we forget what just happened. Now, that's not what many of us should do or are going to do, but I talk about the corporate conversation. Now, it says for those in the mouse army, we're talking about the Jicky Leaks, you know, kind of groupings, which are you should follow. I think they're doing great work. Who were paying attention. We were discussing it in ba- back in January when the Moderna patent for the origin of SARS-CoV-2 first came up. If you can't be bothered to watch the film, you really should but I can't make you. He says, that's what he's saying. Here's an article which can introduce you to what Monsanto did to Percy and why it matters to every person on earth. 
You can also look it up on Wikipedia, but Wikipedia sucks, so don't give them any traffic. It's what he said, I agree. In the meantime, and for the purposes of this article, I'm going to spell it out for you. Percy versus Monsanto is a seminal Canadian Supreme Court ruling that a recipient of a patented product, this, it's important that it's framed in a general sense, because it was ruled between Monsanto and Percy, but the ruling is that a recipient of a patented product, however that happens, is under licensure to the patent owner irrespective of whether the recipient consented to receive the product. Yes, that is the think about how chilling that is to what we're talking about. Again, legally speaking, even though it hasn't been done, how do you deny that that could that argument could be made? Once you truly understand that this is mod RNA and this is, in fact, altering your genetic makeup. Now, obviously, Monsanto is now Bayer. Right. But it's still the same company doing the same terrible things. And even Bayer had its own horrible track record of, you know, HIV causing medica- medications that had some kind of tainted blood or whatever it was. I forget the I think it was a blood product that ultimately ended up having HIV tainted blood in it and was given to people. I mean, it's just like there's so many, is that what happened or was, you know, it's, there's all these historical things and these, these companies only got more popular. Now, it says seminal is the most appropriate word to use here, as you'll see soon. But put simply, Percy claimed that his crop was contaminated by Monsanto seed which he never used, which is the case, which has happened many times now. He lost his livelihood of self-grown seed, generation after generation of seed that they then take the seed from and continue. We're talking real organic farming here. And that, uh, well, in the, in the context of the seeds, by the way, I can't speak to what he used on it, but he says, and that of generations of his family before him, because as a result of the ruling, he could never use that contaminated seed again. Now, realize what he's talking about is they, they've been growing seed or rather growing crops, and they, they take the seed every year. They save it, and then they use it again. And that, that's generation to generation, right? Now, what happened is these seeds that ended up being grown into the same crop ended up tainting that crop that was grown. And then it could find that this had overlapped with all the other crops. So the problem is that this then he, that his seed is gone. It's gone. There's no way to get your seed back. It is now blended with that patent, and you're gone. It's gone. There's no growing another crop the next time and taking those seeds. It's gone. Now, there's so much more to that that is unnerving about the family, the generational, the work, the seed that's been used by this family forever, but just the point that you're now put out of business. Now, this interesting part of this is Percy, quote, won because the court didn't make him pay Monsanto. Yes, that's the truth. But he actually lost because he could not continue to farm and his life's work was taken from him because that's what happened. He lost his farm. He lost the seed. He was no longer a farmer, at least in the context of his family's farm. But history writes that he won because he didn't have to pay for something he didn't do. Now, the real question that should pop into your mind is, what's going to stop Monsanto from just dumping their seed into other people's property when they're not paying attention? Good question. In fact, there's been plenty of farmers that have outright accused them of that. But nobody cares because this is clearly a government-supported entity. Now we get to the two completely unrelated stories from this week. Oh, don't forget, by the way, Agent Orange and all this conversation, right? The overlap with these things. These are the kind of companies that are involved in all this. Well, glyphosate, first, second, second of all, is the primary chemical in the Roundup discussion. And that is one of the most alarming examples of what is drenched, this ubiquitous around this planet. It's in your urine, it's in your hair, it's in your clothing, it's in the air you're breathing. And I'm not making that up. Study after study, it's very clear. And Stephanie Seneff, PhD, makes a very valid argument about glyphosate essentially primes you for all the problems that are happening with this injection. Now, that could just be by deep by coincidence, or it could be more planned. But 
Two completely unrelated stories from this week he's going to join. It says, for my picture-reading followers, he's displayed them side-by-side side with a big red line to separate them. Now, one side is Moderna sues Pfizer Biotech for patent infringement over the COVID vaccine. The other side of this, and this was on August 26, 2022. Here we have March 16, 2022. Pre-exposure to mRNA lipid nanoparticles, the mRNA, inhibits adaptive immune responses and alters innate immune fitness in an inheritable fashion interesting well the big red line is there to show that these are totally separate stories agreed on the left you have the sudden rush from moderna to sue pfizer for patent infringement over the mrna technology and the pfizer injection and on the right you have the new preprint last week which shows how wonderfully effective the new mrna lipid nanoparticle formulation for the flu vaccine is in mouse trials you know just like they said the covid shot was perfectly effective and safe before it actually came out. So I'm assuming we can trust what they tell you, right? Now it goes on to say, call me cynical, but once this article goes live, I have a suspicion that the preprint might disappear. So just in case, here is the full PDF in its glory. He says, now what drew my attention to this was that this throwaway line in the author's summary, which is like a second abstract, not sure why the first abstract wasn't enough. It says, mice pre-exposed to mRNA lipid nanoparticles can pass down the acquired immune traits to their offspring. That's what we're talking about. Same stuff that's in the COVID injections. So if this is something that is being passed down generationally, not just one, but continually, what do we call that? Is that not literally altering your genetic makeup generationally going forward? It is, in fact. And this is what, so that, going back to the point, well, I'll just keep reading. I'm going to make my point at the end even again, but you know, if this it, knowing it's mod RNA and that's what's in you and we are now modified in this way. It's really no dispute over whether or not somebody could make that argument about whether you're now property, if you're licensed by these companies, ignoring the neuro, the uh, neutropenia elephant in the room. Yes, person who had been coughing for six months and is still constantly ill. That's you. Now, if you don't remember what this is, it's really interesting, by the way, this it's listed right there in the study. We also detected a general neutropenia in the exposed mice. Well, guess what that is? The presence of abnormally few neutrophils in the blood leading to an increased susceptibility to infection. And then, oh, this is actually a terrible definition the one I looked up. Basically, a prolonged infection that just kind of continues sickly. And that's, what are we seeing in all these injected people? Well, they just have long COVID that goes on forever. That's not what's happening. Plenty of science has made that clear. This is clearly something else. And in their own studies, they're finding the same things that are happening. But no, no corporate media is going to talk about that. That's why he says, yes, you listening, that has been coughing for six months straight. That's why he says this is one big old throwaway line. He said it made me go. What the F? He said it's always a bad sign. Mice pre-exposed can pass it down to their offspring. He says, I mean, what the F? The author's scoot around this by suggesting there are some quasi-epigenetic epigenetic mechanisms by which offspring can inherit some traits from parents, but I don't think they apply here. It's really it's a really tenuous link. Here is the diagram explaining the situation. And you can pause and check these out for yourself. The links in the studies are in the, in the study itself. He goes on to say what the experiment shows is this. By the second, fourth litter of the originally injected mice, Second and fourth litter, right? Those They're pregnant, they have babies, and they do that four times. The effect of the RNA injected via lipid nanoparticles is persistent, unchanged, provided the original injection was in the maternal line. 
Uh, yeah, and you know what that obviously that means like you can't inject the the they would be in the, the the mother essentially the one passing the giving birth, and then the 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 mother that then comes out would then give birth to babies with the same persistent problem. There is only one rational conclusion from this experiment, ignoring the bluster about epigenetics and various other tenuous stuff from the authors, and that is the RNA injected into the original mice was incorporated into the genome in the oocytes of the maternal line of mice. And yes, we know that the following events happened with the lipid nanoparticle mRNA technology. They're biodistributed to the ovaries. We went over this from the Pfizer original information. The lipid nanoparticles are transfected agents, transfectant agents that, and therefore, will transfect any tissue in which they are biodistributed. Now, we've already gone over this from their original content. This shows the spleen, the reproductive organs. This stuff was immediately around the body. And remember, even though we had that from their original trials, they still went on to argue that it stayed in your shoulder muscle. It was just inherently dishonest from the get-go. The SARS-CoV-2 vaccine mRNA is reverse transcribed from RNA into DNA. And there's plenty of evidence of that in peer-reviewed science. Which means that the paper we discussed, the preprint, has just confirmed... In this list, that it, 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 that is biodistribution of lipid nanoparticle mRNA to the ovary results in transfection of oocytes that result in integration of cDNA into pro, uh, progeny genome. In plain English, the lipid nanoparticle transports the, the mRNA, or the mod RNA, to the ovaries. Then to the eggs. That's what the oocytes, or however you pronounce that. And because of reverse transcription, that same mRNA becomes integrated into the genetic material of the offspring and their offspring and their offspring and on and on and on. The only way this effect can be seen in subsequent generations is if the mRNA or the cDNA given to the original recipient is being expressed in the DNA genome of the offspring. So it's, it's pretty obvious what's happening. So now let's now that we are going to get opposing so now we are going to get opposing opinions. In one camp will be the lucky mice children. They didn't need to get the vaccine because it was already in their DNA. That's what, like, you can see the argument already coming. But that's something, the argument being that that's not something people can choose. And then we're ignoring all of the overt, crazy side effects that come along with all this stuff. In the other camp will be those children that did not consent to receive artificial patented DNA that nobody knows the long-term effects of. This is eugenics. <laughs> well, the first argument is pretty ridiculous because... Obviously, consent matters as much as they try to ignore that. But the idea that we pretend that we, you know, this is how they always operate. Well, we know this works this way. Therefore, well, we don't know that. And the evidence shows the exact opposite. We know it's set and effective. Therefore, that's how they work. But the evidence shows the exact opposite. He says, just for fun, he's included a poll so you can see how his audience thinks. And obviously, 97% think eugenics. He goes, okay, so I hope you are with me so far. I've understood the following, but I'll recap. The paper shows that the vaccinated RNA included the lipid nanoparticle, which is known intended to go to the ovary, can get into genetic line and produce the intended effect in three to four litters, at least, of the resulting mice. Four suggest it continues indefinitely, especially since it didn't dis dissipate between the four. Now, this is the important bit. If we think back to Percy versus Goliath and put these two stories together, we can conclude the following. If a therapeutic... Oh, I should have done that. If a therapeutic patented RNA is injected into the mother and it is passed to the offspring of that mother, the owner of the patent can claim licensure rights 
on the offspring. Now, look, ignore for a minute the human part of this. We just read you the re, the, the legal uh, where we're. Oh, it, it's a uh, where was that? Wait, where did I just do that? I'm forgetting my spot here. That's interesting. Did I look that up somewhere else? Huh, I'll come back to it, but I just lost my place for some reason. In any case, my point the same is that we know that historically the argument has been made that this can happen. That you absolutely can patent living entities that have this provable overlap. Oh, that it was the uh, it was the Monsanto argument. I don't know. I already read it. Well, nonetheless, the point is the same, right? So if that's the case, human argument aside, the legal standing to do so is already there. It's just waiting for someone to make that original argument. Bring it to a court and say, well, we own that child. Or rather, the, we own the, you know, the rights to what happens or you know, whatever, how this everything is played. I know it seems abstract and crazy, but we have to ask the question, seeing as how this is already on the table. It says, yes, I know that sounds crazy, right? Something like big pharma corporations could never claim licensure rights on a human. In which case, this U.S. Supreme Court decision in 2013 was obviously meaningless because we all trust those lovely, fluffy pharma corporations to uphold human rights, obviously, don't we? It's being facetious. The court on Thursday held that human DNA was a product of nature, a basic tool of scientific and technological work thereby placing it beyond the domain of patent protection, so just regular DNA. It struck down patents held by Myriad Genetics, Inc., a Utah company, on two genes linked to a higher risk of breast and ovarian cancer. Why you would patent that is beyond me, other than, you know, things we talk about with the way this actually works. But it also said, and this is the important part, that synthetic genetic material, like mod RNA, could be patented in a mixed ruling for the biotechnology industry, which has argued that patents are necessary to recoup the billions of dollars it spends on research. Okay, so as a bio company, what do you then do? Right? You realize, there's the, the, okay, well, what, there's, we, there's, what is the other direction we could take here? I'm not talking about the, even the human direction. Just whatever we're talking about, whether we're talking about the animals or the, the molecule, whatever they're creating, the point is, okay, wait a minute, though, we can't patent this DN, the, the product of nature, but we can patent synthetic genetic material enter the mod rna conversation i would argue or the direction that goes in this context it says thank god for that then so my statement doesn't stand obviously if a therapeutic patented rna is injected into the mother and it passes to the offspring of the mother the owner of the patent under the legal standing can in fact claim and i get it licensure rights to the offspring and he says and thankfully because his statement is meaningless and accurate misinformation, then the last piece of the puzzle is also meaningless. He's being facetious still. That is that Moderna has sued Pfizer for a valueless lawsuit, which is interesting, over a patent for technology that everyone knows was developed by both companies overnight at the same time, right? Which is obviously ridiculous, as all these companies seem to simultaneously achieve the same thing. The point is, obviously, I don't think we know, but it's not what they told us. It says, unfortunately, there is only one logical conclusion of this. If you have got this far in the article, you might have realized it already. If you haven't, and the article has depressed you, this may be a good time to press the back button. I'm going to leave a gap and then produce my one paragraph conclusion. Feel free to disregard the comments and, you know, run scared if you think this is too much for you. He says, this is the conclusion that you have ventured this far to read. Moderna are going after the patent rights because they know that the children of mothers who have taken either Moderna or Pfizer vaccines can be subject to licensure. 
in simple terms, Moderna may claim ownership over those children. The good news, this can be stopped in its tracks. All you have to do is ask anybody that you know, friend or ex-friend or foe, who was received, who has received the mRNA therapy to write to Pfizer or Moderna and request, quote, please confirm, and you guys should do this, please confirm that there will exist no circumstances following receipt of a Pfizer injection or Moderna injection or other similar technology vaccination that patent licensing rights or other means of trespass or claim of ownership, either in part or full, will ever be claimed by the company or its derivatives or partners or any other related entity on any human being who has received the said product either directly via administration or via inheritance. That's real, knowing or unknowingly from a recipient. He says, whichever way the company answers, he will have done his job. Now, to take this a little further, or I mean, I guess further back, or however you want to frame it, let's just pull back from the human part of it. Because I know that's the hardest part people wrap their minds around. But it it would apply to arguably anything, right? Your blood. So what happens if suddenly your, your blood samples are now seized by the companies because they own them? You can see how that might work. Maybe to hide what's in it. Maybe to use it for their own purposes. Maybe to demand that they need it for something. Now, I'm just thinking outside the box. Just realize that there's a lot of other ways this can apply to things that are currently happening than just claiming they own your body. But even even that, understand, is not that crazy when you realize this has been going on a long time. Gizmodo wrote, in 2012, human gene patenting. Yes, companies can own your DNA. Now, read it for yourself. It's the same conversation. There are ways around how this works. Here is just a quick point about biological patents in the United States. Supreme Court has unanimously ruled that human genes are not patentable. But everywhere you look, this is the point. Synthetic DNA or cDNA is patent eligible because it does not occur naturally. So when your blood suddenly has some alteration to it, which they can prove, well, this kind of blood does not occur naturally. By definition, they could argue that they own that if they can prove the patent for what it is or what's in it. AMCG's longstanding position that genes and their mutations are naturally occurring substances that should not be patented has been vindicated by the Supreme Court. But all they would arguably need to do is argue that your blood is not natural or that your body is not natural or that you have been altered. Now I got to be being you know real honest about this. This 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 actually does concern me. Now I have never taken any of that garbage. Hopefully you haven't either. But we've talked about the shedding conversation. Does that have enough? Does that play a factor? I don't know. Hope not. Or even the mRNA conversation, which is disputed by people in the conversation. But some people have argued that's possible. Either way, the fact that we're not even aware of this in a large degree, a lot of people don't even understand this is even possible. It shows you. And and really, think about the full show today and all the other things we talked about or every other show before it and all the things that they willfully keep from your view. We just need to finally acknowledge as Americans, as world citizens, that these people do not care about you. They do not care about your well-being. They care about using the argument of your well-being to achieve their ends. And sometimes those things align. Sometimes. Usually not today. But all I ask for people out there is just to be objective question everything we come across and plenty of people are wrong I've, I've been wrong plenty of times now when you end up being wrong or say the thing that somebody else has already decided is the thing that she'll say or however that works ask yourself why you would assume somebody is a certain thing without evidence 
because that's just ignorance. Now, I'm not saying don't ask the question. We do it every single day. Could this person be lying? Is that person working for the government? Ask the questions. But if you don't know for sure, then that's where that stays because that's what a responsible person would do. But today we see this everywhere. We see it coming out all which way. And I see right now the COVID-19, like all these people that were moments ago, like really on the same path about generally arguing that we know the government is involved. We know that we've been lied to. We know these things are hurting people. And now suddenly the whole thing's being drawn to a halt by people that want to divide the community, whether with honest intentions or not, because they think certain points of their argument are not real. Now, look, I understand how these things can be misused or that believing an entirely false reality can be a problem going forward. And I've always argued that that's how these things can work, where they will give you a lot of truth with one important lie. But what we have to stand back and realize is that right now, what we're ultimately talking about is accountability. And it's certainly possible that all of this was done for some grander end, but I, again, would need even some kind of evidence to prove that was the intent to, to discuss that or believe that. But at the end of the day, we have people that are right now being caught for just on the injection, like even talking about like graphene oxide overlap, like we've been entertaining that that's it's in possibility. Here's science talking about that before. But in the context of the conversation, what's interesting to me, we should ask that question, as I've said many times on the show. But why is it that we no longer in that conversation care about the lipid nanoparticles and how dangerous they are? Or about the spike protein, how dangerous that is. Or any number of other things that we've already proven in and of themselves cause everything we're talking about. But that then gets skipped over because we only are allowed to talk about this one or you're a shill. And that's not everybody in that community or any community for that matter. It's never all, but some of them are doing this. And I feel that is an effort to stop true engagement in these conversations. It's a genuine problem. We've talked about the overlap with 9-11. This is how it tends to work. And these things get mired in debate, which they should be debated, but they should be able to go forward from there. We can be okay going, we disagree with certain things as long as we're all pointing at the culprit. But apparently some people aren't okay with that and rather point at us, not individually us, but people in the community instead of realizing that they may just have a disagreement. It's important that we continue to fight for all the things we believe in, but understand that people may just have different opinions. Now, even this comment right here is going to be framed as me trying to manipulate everybody or anybody else out doing that. But I trust that you people out there that are watching the show that believe what we're doing are objective. Not that you trust me or believe what I do or believe that I think I'm correct, but that you're objective and that you can stand back and realize that being objective is the only way to go forward and questioning everything, including the people making allegations and evidence is all that really matters. I really am completely blown away by this community, guys. Every every day, I'm really kind of blown away by what what has been what we collectively have created. It's something special, guys. I mean, I, I, everyone says that, right? Best community on the internet, but... You know, I, you know, you know, everyone says it too, but I truly, I, I see something different here and I, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the engagement that we have here and, and the fact that we are willing to, to discuss things. And, you know, we disagree plenty of times, but at the end of the day, hopefully we can all come to the same point in which we're fighting to find that truth. So thank you all for being here. Continue to spread the information. Make sure you save the date for the 20th. Stop by anybody out there again that wants to try to join. I mean, even if you're just a, a longtime supporter and you, hey, I, I, I'm not going to promise everybody will have not, you know, that everybody will be invited or that I'll have time to include everybody. But if you're out there and you want to reach out to me, shoot me a DM on Twitter. Emails right now are just complicated. <laughs> so for everybody out there, emails are hard. I'm missing a lot of them these days for both manipulation and different reasons. 
but shoot me a DM, go through some of the people in the chat here, let them know. And we can try to fit, you know, get some people on. So I'd love to hear stories about your experience with TLF, you know, where you first saw it, what it did, what, how, how it either, you know, changed this or did that or whatever. It doesn't have to be positive. Really. I just want to hear your insights, but the whole point obviously is to talk about, you know, what we're trying to accomplish, but reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you as always question. Everything come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.